Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of August 10, 2023, including... Killer Instinct is getting its first update in seven years. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 has officially been announced with some interesting new details, which are a first for the franchise. Rockstar and Take-Two have inadvertently made Xbox look superior to their competition, and more. This day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the game, was released for the Xbox 360 worldwide. This is the Ubisoft developed and published 2D pixel art Scott Pilgrim game, which is kind of a really weird, I mean, it still is weird in hindsight. Actually, I think it's weirder in hindsight than it was at the time. Very out of left field project for Ubisoft to work on, this kind of pixel art, arcade, beat-em-up style game coming from Ubisoft, a very European publisher, full of a bunch of European developers and Canadian developers that are known for making a lot of shooting games and Tom Clancy games and spy espionage and open world tick box and things like Assassin's Creed, of course. And Scott Pilgrim is a little bit out of left field for them, even even considering some of their roots, like things like Rayman. So this was always an odd thing that Ubisoft had created and published this game, but that doesn't speak to the quality, or, you know, that doesn't speak ill of the quality of this game because Scott Pilgrim, the video game, is highly regarded as a really, really excellent, beloved indie Xbox arcade, indie style, although obviously not an indie game, kind of love letter to arcade beat-em-up style um, fighting games. Yeah. This was definitely a big Xbox Live Arcade style game when it came out, although I don't, I don't think this game was Xbox Live Arcade. I think it just was a $20 game, and then it was, because it was also released on PS3 and everything, and then it came... I think they did a physical... Actually, no, they didn't do a physical release of it until like a year or two ago, or two or three years ago, when it was the 10-year anniversary. I think that was the first time they did a physical... I actually don't remember. To be completely honest, I played the hell out of the demo for this game, enjoyed it quite a bit, never bought it, because in 2010, I was too busy being a broke-ass high school student who was like, okay, buy Scott Pilgrim or save that money towards gasoline or going out to Taco Bell with my friends. So it was just one of those things that I never ended up picking up this game. But I played the demo a bunch, and then about a year or two ago when they did that re-release, I ended up picking up that version of the game. Still haven't played through it start to finish, but the one thing about this game that I always did love and I do know and have a fondness for is, uh, of course, the soundtrack, most notably... Uh, the, the music for this game fa or is famously done by, I would say, uh, or this game is very notable for its music. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, because all the music, original music, was composed and written by none other than the, I don't know what you want to call it, kawaii, pop, rock and roll, electronic style, whatever band, Anamanaguchi, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. This is kind of like one of the things that really put them on the map and made them notable. Although this wasn't actually their uh, their their music effort that made me familiar with them. An old coworker of mine introduced me to their 
their first full-length record, which they put out three years after this game came out. Enlist Fantasy, one of the great records this day. Holy shit. Best, probably, and I say this with no hyperbole, definitely top three, but probably the best record of the 2010s is that uh, Anamanaguchi's Endless Fantasy. Phenomenal record. If you like, God, dude, it's, it's so good. It's just like hyper pop, crazy ass rock and roll, but they have like all these weird sound effects. They literally have like modded NES sound cards that they then like put through software and stuff to modulate guitar noise and, and basically make their guitars sound like video games. And they have crazy ass punk rock drums and great dude one of the great bands of all time so fucking good um anyway i'm being sidetracked scott pilgrim versus the world this day in xbox history 13 years ago came out for the xbox 360 it has since been re-released it is available on series s x xbox one all that jazz through the 10 year anniversary re-release man at the very least check out this game's music while i think the music is phenomenal no doubt i will say you like that check out Anamanaguchi's other music because their original music that's just like their standalone music I think is even better while this game has really good music don't get me wrong their standalone music is actually even better I went to their last year um, I was fortunate enough to finally see these guys live and a friend of the show Hunter was uh, the one who brought me to their show and uh, they played actually it was like an anniversary tour for this video game, and they played the entire soundtrack of this game start to finish, which was really cool. They had like huge displays, and they had like um, they had like gameplay and cutscenes and shit from the game playing in the background as they like synced up and played the music to it, which was pretty damn cool. And then afterwards, they played like a full set of their other music, which was phenomenal. Best best concert I've been to, absolutely easily in the past ten years. Such a good show, but yeah, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. If you like competent arcade beat-em-up style classic games a little couch co-op with some friends or family or whatever this is a great a great time from what i remember at least and uh music is goddamn so good sprite art's really good as well so shout out to the art style uh but yeah that's a that's a really good game or a really notable game at least for me all right speaking of things that are notable you guys last week we were a little bit uh left out in the cold with there not being a whole lot of interesting game to talk about nothing new really coming to the fray worth mentioning but this week we have not one but two new games coming to xbox which i absolutely think are worth mentioning the first one being a big game that came out to playstation and pc around this time last year that everybody was talking about and we xbox fans as we're quite used to we're kind of left out in the cold twiddling our thumbs talking about how halo infinite might get better and uh playstation players were busy enjoying uh the at the time Times exclusive Stray, the uh, Annapurna Interactive cat game that was just taking the world by storm last year. So that is finally coming to Xbox as of the day this is record, or as of the day this podcast goes live, August tenth, Thursday the tenth. So yeah, for some reason I was under the impression for like the past couple months that this game was going to be a day one Game Pass game. I don't know why I thought that, but that's absolutely not true. It is being released only for purchase through the Microsoft Store, and it's $30, but if you are a Game Pass subscriber, you get like 10 or 20% off it or something. I don't know. I think it's like 22 bucks, $23, so what, what is that, like 20% off the game? I don't know. So th- there you go. A little, a little something, a little bit of cheddar back if you purchase this game as a Game Pass subscriber, but no doubt this is a game that's probably going to catch a lot of attention for Xbox fans as we all kind of sat on the sidelines and watched other people enjoy it last year. So I want to play that game, but the reason... 
I'm not getting this game is because the other game that came out this week, I want to play even more. And that's a game that was supposed to come out, I think this was originally supposed to come out in May and then got delayed, but also coming out this Thursday, August 10th, Atlas Fallen, developed by Deck 13, published by Focus Entertainment. I swear Focus Entertainment just seems to have an eye for like the most interesting double A plus style games in the industry. But Deck 13, of course, a notable developer because they um, are the minds behind the uh, Surge 1 and 2. I believe they're, aren't they a German? I believe they're a German developer. I could be wrong about that. I know they're European. Maybe they're French. I'm pretty sure they're German. But they are the developer behind the Surge 1 and 2, which are those like kind of, I don't know, post-apocalyptic kind of future mechanical robot whatever style souls inspired games the second one in particular i think was pretty well received but both of them are are generally considered fairly competent um souls like games and what's pretty notable about them is they were some of the first souls like kind of like inspired games to come out to really reach some kind of level of serious notoriety and acceptance from fans of the genre so these guys have kind of cut their cut their teeth and prove themselves so to speak over in that space but atlas fallen their new game that's coming out this week apparently nothing like the surge which i'm i'm hopeful that that is exactly true because while i thought the surge looked cool i i I tried it recently not my thing uh atlas fallen absolutely looks like my thing and i really hope that this game ends up kind of sticking the landing and being something worth my time because it's uh they're billing it as a open world action rpg it's that game you might remember from like gamescom or the game awards last year where it's like that whatever ambiguous looking character that it looks uninteresting in their art style but they're in like this deserty open world and they can kind of like sand surf around the fucking environment that looks really cool um and in addition to that it just has crazy wild looking actiony gameplay um which at first thought kind of looks like the new final fantasy games a little bit but upon further you know viewing of other videos other gameplay demos and stuff the game actually looks like the combat is very devil may cry inspired which is also awesome but it's an action rpg so there's a lot of like customization and skill upgrades and things like that and there's a lot of like different combat mechanics to learn and master the thing that has me weary about this game is that a lot of a lot of the previews and videos and stuff are like this game's combat is pretty deep like you definitely need to have some kind of understanding of like of like dodging and parrying and rolling and shit. I'm like, now we're starting to sound like a Souls game again. What the fuck is this about? But they swear that's more of like a Devil May Cry style frantic combat game, but with intelligent, thoughtful combat, not just hack and slash nonsense. Although I like hack and slash nonsense. And um, I don't know. They're also touting that it's it's stem to stem, beginning to end, designed to be enjoyed as a as a co-op game as well. So you can play this game in its entirety with a friend. And apparently it's it's pretty good that way as well. Uh, it also does have difficulty modes, which Souls-type games don't have. So I'm hoping that is another indicator to say, like, hey, if you're put off by our other games because they're a little Souls-like, don't worry, this game is nothing like that. We're trying a completely different type of game here with Atlas Fallen. It doesn't necessarily look like a Souls game. Actually, it really doesn't at all. I'm just scared off because the developer is kind of known for that style of game, and I really don't want to waste 60 bucks on a game that I'm going to end up fucking hating after five minutes so i don't really know how to feel about this originally i thought this was a day one buy for me now i'm kind of in the camp of like let's wait for the game to be a couple days old watch some youtube videos which is kind of unusual for me i mean i'm usually i i you know I've, i feel like most of us can kind of relate to this like the idea of like needing to wait for your favorite youtuber or podcaster to review a game in order to find out if you want to buy it i feel like i feel like that's something you do when you're new to gaming or if maybe you're a kid and you don't really have a lot of like nuanced experience or takes on gaming but like 
if you're like a seasoned gamer, someone who's played games for many years, I feel like you don't really need to like wait for the reviews to find out if the game's going to be your thing or wait, you know, wait to hear what people say about it. Because even though it's good to wait for those things to find out, you know, is the game in fully functioning order? Is it, are they releasing a broken piece of shit? You know, is the game, is the game, you know, fully complete and in good running order? You know, that's one thing, but just to find out, like, if a game is your style of game, a game you would prefer to play, I feel like a lot of, like, seasoned gamers, definitely I feel this way about myself, like, I don't really generally need reviews to make a decision on whether or not I'm going to play a game, because I can watch, generally I can watch, like, 10 seconds of gameplay of any game and be like, yeah, I can tell you right off the bat if that's a Jesse game or not, and I feel pretty confident, like, I, I don't know, like, Atomic Hearts, like, we, we, we didn't know exactly what that was, the many times it was showed off over the years, but I knew whether it was more like Doom or more like Bioshock or more like something else, you know, all I knew about about Atomic Heart was 10 seconds of gameplay was enough for me to be like, this is a Jesse game. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's a game that's worth my time, worth my money. I will enjoy. Maybe that's a bad example because it ended up being a Game Pass game day one. But nonetheless, I would have bought and played a game like Atomic Heart day one. Generally, I feel, you know, I can feel that like, and then there's also like the sequel thing. Like I don't, I don't need to wait for reviews for a game like Spider-Man Two to find out like will I like Spider-Man Two? It's like no, dude. Of course, I played every other fucking Spider-Man game. Of course, I'm gonna be interested in Spider-Man Two. You know, even even games like Starfield, where it's like sure, Starfield's a new IP, but like if you like Bethesda games or these open world Western RPG games, you're probably gonna be interested in Starfield. I don't need to wait to see what IGN thinks about Starfield to know whether or not I want to play it, that's really more for like entertainment or just to kind of get a read off like what the, what the, what the ecosystem, you know, what the community has to say about it. That's kind of more so what reviews and game previews and things like that generally are for me. But Atlas Fallen is a very, very, very rare instance where I think I might need to wait for some reviews to find out if this is a game that will be for me or not. I, I really just need to hear more about the combat and the difficulty because if this game ends up being one of those like we think we're so badass because we released an eight hour game that will take you 50 hours to beat because you got to break up with your fucking girlfriend quit your day job and and learn how to master our shitty ass game in order to proceed with your fucking life like if it's one of those games i'm like screw that i'm out no thank you there's plenty of other shit worth playing out there in the world i don't need a game like this but i don't think that's what atlas fallen is at all it looks like they're not trying to market it that way or present it that way but i'm still there's a little bit of a red flag and a weariness so i'm gonna wait a little while give it a couple days see what the reviews are see you know is the game in good running order i you know i, I listen i'm the king of like budgety games or games with a little bit of jank i don't i don't mind a game that's got a couple bugs in it or a game that's like this specific mechanic or idea is a little underdeveloped, but there's a lot of good here. You know, I'm the guy that liked Crossfire X. I can see a lot of good in the bad, but I, what I can't accept are these are these games that are like get good, bro. It's like fuck off with that, dude. If I if I wanted a game to make me feel like shit, if I wanted to play a game so that it could make me feel inadequate in some way, you know what I would actually do? I turn off my fucking Xbox and go out into the real world. But when I play a video game, I want to feel cool, I want to feel powerful, and I want to be able to turn off my brain and still be good at what I'm doing. So why would I play a Souls-like game? That's that's dumb. It's stupid. It's counterproductive. If you like Souls games, I'm not saying you're stupid, but you're a fucking moron. And that's all i got to say about that. So Atlas Fallen coming out this Thursday, August 10th. For those who uh, don't read sarcasm, that was sarcastic. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not calling you stupid, okay? Thank you. God bless you. And uh, so, yeah, notable releases of the week. 
still very excited about Atlas Fallen. The other thing is I'm working, I'm almost done with a different game, so I kind of want to finish that before I move on to something else. But anyway, we'll get into that later. Guys, let's talk about Activision updates of the week. We don't really have anything severe to talk about here because this deal is all but done. But New Zealand would like to enter the chat super late, like just comically, profoundly late and be like, hey, by the way, we're approving the deal. So yeah, New Zealand has, uh, the New Zealand's regulators have approved the Microsoft purchase of Activision Blizzard. So Good for, good for you, New Zealand, they said in a quote to press start. Uh, in reaching its decision, the commission focused on the importance of Activision games like Call of Duty, Overwatch, and World of Warcraft to New Zealand gamers and whether Microsoft would be likely to stop rivals like Sony and NVIDIA from offering those games on consoles and on cloud platforms. So it seems like they came to the conclusion that this won't be a hindrance all that much to competition. So, again, uh, good, good for you, New Zealand. I don't know that anyone was really holding out for your opinion. But nonetheless, I'm not trying to say you don't matter or anything. It's just, I don't know. It's like, I feel like you should have maybe. Why, why was this decision reached now? Where, where were you guys like over the past year and a half? But anyway, better late than ever. New Zealand, you have an excuse to be late, I guess, because you are just such a naturally beautiful looking country or so, or so they say. I'm sure you are absolutely stunning. So I guess for that, for, for the Lord of the Rings and the sake that your land is so pretty, I guess we'll just give you a, give you a little pass on that New Zealand. But. Don't let it happen again, is all I got to say there. Now, no corrections this week, because I'm a goddamn genius, and I've never made a, a mistake in my life. And uh, with that, we can just move right into our mildly amusing stories. You guys, this week's a little bit of a weird one. I'll be honest, because I don't like holding things from you guys. I don't like being dishonest. A little light on the news this week. But I think we've got some interesting stories, a little bit of weird, some, some weirdness going on in the news, starting with this first mildly amusing story, where I think Publisher Take Two and... Um, and uh, developer Rockstar, GTA developer Rockstar, have kind of made themselves look a little bit like a, a little bit like dumb bitches this week. A little bit, they've made the Xbox look superior to Nintendo and PlayStation. I'm not saying that they are. Listen, any, any PlayStation Nintendo fans out there? I'm just saying this this move is a bad look for non Xbox platforms. Where confirming rumors that have been circulating for the past few weeks, uh, Red Dead Redemption is officially coming to both PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch. So technically, this is not an Xbox story, but inadvertently, it has become one. So let me read this. Uh, following some controversy in the controversy, and this is VGC, of course, uh, Take Two Interactive CEO and Chairman Strauss Zelnick has defended the price of the upcoming Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4 port of Red Dead Redemption, the original 2010 Xbox 360 game. Take-Two publisher Rockstar Games announced on Monday that Red Dead Redemption will be coming to X or not Xbox, Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4 on August 17th with a physical release planned for October 13th. What the, uh, what they also announced during that time was that the game will cost 50 US dollars and will include the $20 Undead Nightmare DLC, or at least it was a $20 DLC, I believe, when it came out back in 2000. That that DLC, I think, came out in 2011, I want to say. But anyway, so IGN asked uh, CEO of Take-Two, Strauss Zelnick, why the game was given that $50 price point, especially considering that the game's already available on Xbox consoles via backwards compatibility. Not to mention, side note, uh, this game has an automatic frame rate and performance boost on Xbox Series consoles. Uh, and it's available for only $30 US, with the Undead Nightmare DLC being available. Again, backwards compatibility, all that jazz, $10. So you can buy both of these things for $40 on Xbox. It has the automatic frame rate boost and all that shit. It's backwards compatible. You got your achievements and all that jazz. And it's been there this whole freaking time. Uh, to which, you know, I, Zelenik responded to IGN and says, 
that's just what we believe. You know, fifty dollars is just what we believe is commercially accurate. Um, you know, a, a commercially accurate price. Uh, after Take Two EVP of Finance Hannah Sage pointed out that the Nintendo Switch and PlayStation Four versions also include the Undead, Night- Undead Nightmare DLC, Zelnick added that Undead Nightmare was quote a great standalone game in its own right when it was originally released. So we feel that this is a great bundle for the first time and certainly a great value for customers or consumers. Okay, so I mean, there's a lot of ways we could take this and spin this, but I I, I think this is one of those like the deafening silence of this being a PlayStation and, and Nintendo release and not being available on xbox tells you absolutely everything you need to know first of all this is not like some from the ground up you know stem to stern remake of red dead redemption this is just a port presumably with you know maybe some frame rate buffs and maybe some maybe they're doing some odds and ends here and there for performance and loading and maybe some lighting or something like that i don't i don't know but i mean it's it's a light port more than it is a remake you know or a remaster somewhere in that somewhere in that vague territory of like port slash remaster but it's not a remake by any stretch of the imagination and keep in mind this is coming to playstation 4 and nintendo switch not not nintendo switch and playstation 5 so the idea here is that on the Xbox platform, Xbox has been so good about backwards compatibility since the 360 year, years that this has not been an issue for those consumers. However, since Nintendo has been too busy with their fucking fingers up their butts making everything from the Wii to the Wii U to the Switch, where their freaking cartridges and discs and game cards are ranging from circles to squares to things that taste bad to things that taste like nothing. You know, Nintendo's running the gamut of different media formats for their consoles, so there's no way to make a game like this backwards compatible. Not only that, but Red Dead Redemption's never been available on Nintendo platform because it came out during the era of the Wii, and let's not kid ourselves and act like you could have gotten a game like Red Dead Redemption running on Nintendo Wii. So for Nintendo... You know, this is just about bringing that game to that platform for the first time, which I think is fine in and of itself. But for PlayStation, this looks especially bad. And also keep in mind, this deal is this bundle is not coming to PC, another platform where this has been backwards compatible slash accessible, you know, all the all along. Um, not really backwards compatible because there's no such thing as that on PC. It's just the game is on PC and it's just there indefinitely. So again, so uh, this is where it looks really bad is when you consider the PlayStation version of the game where they're literally just porting the game from PS3 to PS4, and then of course you can play it on your PS5 via backwards compatibility because PS5 is backwards compatible with PS4. So this is basically just Rockstar slash Take Two saying, yeah, I guess it's kind of shitty that this seminal experience, Red Dead Redemption, is available on PC and Xbox because they actually those platforms actually care about supporting legacy games. And, uh, you know, it's never been on Nintendo, so let's put it on Nintendo for the first time so those guys got an opportunity to experience it. And then PlayStation, I guess we'll just put this on PS4 and PS5 since Sony did such a terrible job of respecting the PS3's catalog and and library and making those games accessible to PlayStation owners over time because I guess one thing I'll relentlessly, you know, I I, I get criticism on the show because of how nice I am to PlayStation and how hard I am on Xbox that in trying to be fair and non-fanboyish, I'm almost the complete opposite, you know, like an asshole to Xbox, the brand that this podcast is dedicated to but one one area where i will relent like unrelentingly shit on playstation and just tell you sony straight up sucks dog turd like this platform is a piece of shit is it's respect and honoring of its previous generations playstation has been so absolute dog shit at backwards compatibility forever it's ridiculous i mean i think ps2 was like the only time they didn't suck complete donkey dick at it 
because um, you could play PS1 games on PS2. And even then, I'm like, I'm only, I'm only like 85% sure that was the case, but I'm fairly certain that is true. And then PS3 sucked. They gave you like half backwards compatibility and then took it out of the console later and then never tried to fix it. And then apparently there have been reports forever that PS4, that they've found ways to get PS3 games running on PS4 and PS5, but they just don't give a shit enough, I guess, or they're trying to find some way to paywall it eventually and have never brought those features forward to their customers. I mean, let's be honest. Sony's always absolutely sucked at online infrastructure, um, just having features and accessibility options and just more, you know, things like being able to change your PSN profile name or, or bring forward your old ID onto this other platform and things like that. Like they've, they've always been the absolute worst at that. And while they've definitely made huge, huge improvements over the year, I would say PS five is the first time they've ever been in a normal stance with these kinds of things where your shit from PS four just carries over naturally your, your catalog, your games, your profile, your trophies and all those things. That's, and that's great. Um, I mean, it's, it's literally the first time they've ever, not sucked at it where nintendo's kind of had like an on and off thing nintendo's backwards compatibility has been good it's ranged from great to terrible at times but overall i'd say nintendo's usually like pretty okay at it then xbox i think has gone from like good to not so good to great and they've just stayed great i mean obviously outside of pc xbox is the platform to be if you care about hoping to play your old games one day in the future but yeah i mean with that aside like this is just such a shit situation because it's it's basically a slap in the face it's like punishing playstation players because their platform wouldn't allow them to play their ps3 games on ps4 and beyond so this is a punishment it's like you'll finally get this game that we have withheld from you for years and years and years more so sony's fault than it is rockstar and take two's fault because of backwards compatibility but now that you finally do have access to it on more modern hardware you're going to be punished and taxed for buying it through this new bundle by us charging you an additional $10. What if you don't want Undead Nightmare? You just want the base game. Or vice versa. What if you just want Undead Nightmare, not the base game? Can't buy them individually. You have to buy them together. And then on top of that, you have to spend $10 more for this bundle than it would be buying both of these things a la carte on Xbox. And generally, and that's so ass backwards, generally you save money by bundling things versus buying a la carte but in both scenarios in, in both instances here it is better to be on xbox you've had access to these games all along from the start and you can buy them individually and they're cheaper than buying them bundled it's like such a fucking slap in the face and all the benefits and features and little upgrades to the game on xbox were free microsoft did it they were just like hey we're just gonna frame rate boost this 10 year old game fuck you enjoy our new console that's what they did in 2020 when the xbox series x came out but now playstation fans who've probably not looked at this game since 2013 when the PS4 came out, are just now being told, okay, you can finally play this game again. You just got to buy it again for an exorbitant price. That's all. And so, I don't know, man. This is like, if I'm Sony, I'd be a little pissed about this because you already had to deal with the fact that you've been terrible at backwards compatibility and supporting legacy content for so long, and your fans are probably already pissed off with you sucking at that so bad. And then on top of that, now you're you're uh, one of your close partners, your close third-party um partners that you work with in take two is making you look bad by saying hey we finally have this game that this platform has lacked for so long we're just going to tax you for uh for for getting it late because why not and so i don't know it just this is one of those things where like xbox takes a lot of shit and a lot of times deservedly so and sometimes undeservedly so and like most recently obviously xbox is getting some slack because Baldur's gate 3 is not on xbox because of some 
uh, some performance issues with Xbox Series S and Microsoft's insistence that the game must be uh, available on both platforms, content parity. So they can't fix, they can't get this game on Series X until it's running on Series S. And so that's a whole thing, and Xbox has taken some flack for that. But this is a rare instance of where I think PlayStation has to take the L a little bit because they, they fucked up with backwards compatibility for so long, consistently and deliberately said through their silence and their lack of action that they don't give a shit. And now uh, a third-party partner of theirs is taking the initiative to bring one of their old games forward via a different method, and the player base is being punished by being charged an ex- like an extortion rate just to finally get access to that game that PlayStation has gatekept from their own player base, which is just, I don't know. It's, it, I know I'm being a little dramatic with this, but it's I'm also not wrong, <laughs> which is the thing. And like, I don't know like speak so confidently about myself, but like, this is, this is one of those like game industry little things that like irks me so bad. It's like, I just don't understand how you can fuck up the, I, I think about like how often I play old games on my Xbox and, and like, how much all these features and, and quality of life things that Xbox has, how much I rely on them and just quietly kind of enjoy them while Xbox or PlayStation fans have just been robbed for so long of like just the conveniences of life and, and the accessibility to their, to the, to the features that are just understood to be commonplace on all other platforms and to the access to their own library that they've already invested money in in the first place and things like that. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things that just comically sucks ass on PlayStation and, uh, this makes Xbox look really good for for no reason. All Take Two has to do is just release the games a la carte and say, "Hey, you can get these bundled together for forty bucks, or you can buy them a la carte, ten bucks for Undead Nightmare and thirty bucks for the big, for the base game." Boom! There you go. There you fucking go. That's all you got to do. My my guess is the reason why this is priced the way it is is because they believe that this will do really well on Nintendo Switch and they want to charge a little bit more for it. And, you know, you can't just arbitrarily charge more for it on Switch than you do on PlayStation. Because if this was only coming to PlayStation, just to kind of put it on parity with where Xbox is at, then I think what they would have done is just priced it parallel to what Xbox's structure is for the same game. I think that's what they would have done. But this, I think, ultimately has to do with them being like, there's a lot of money to be made by putting this game on Nintendo Switch, and we're not going to sit out on that. So... That's kind of how I read this. Maybe there are some other ways to interpret this, but this was my takeaway, and it's it's kind of shitty. I feel bad for PlayStation fans that just want to play Red Dead Redemption because, by the way, you know, complete side note, Red Dead Redemption 1 is one of the great games of all time. If you've never played the first, both of them are phenomenal. The second one is vastly superior, but they're both phenomenal. I would say both Red Dead Redemption games, easily top 20 best games of all fucking time. Like, I will take both Red Dead Redemption games over every single GTA game combined, plus 10, divided by 4, plus a million. That's how good Red Dead Redemption is. Better than, I know people are super nostalgic, we, we let the nostalgia run our lives, We're all, we all miss San Andreas and GTA 3. Mm-mm. Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2. The, the, the two best games Rockstar has ever made. I don't know how they'll ever fucking top those games, because they're absolutely beautiful perfect masterpiece games if you've never played red dead redemption 2 stop listening to this podcast stop driving stop uh, doing your laundry or whatever it is you're doing and go play this game now it's amazing so you know happy for switch and playstation owners that they'll finally be able to access this game 
but um, it's just dog shit that you're going to be kind of like taxed on top of it for what? For what? Not having an Xbox? That's weird. So anyway, enjoy enjoy Red Dead Redemption. It truly is one of the great games of all time. Let's move on. Let's talk about Game Pass. Let's uh, let's talk about something that's shitty for Xbox fans now. Okay, we, we shit on PlayStation a little bit. Now let's shit on Xbox. Then we can shit on the toilet. And then we can get out of here. We can call it a day. What do you say about that? So Xbox has reportedly reduced the length of its $1 Game Pass one-month trial after they just recently reintroduced the deal. Now it is uh now the deal is is being cut to only two weeks for a dollar so the introductory offer previously let players get their first month of xbox game pass ultimate or pc game pass for a buck for those listing other countries a buck is like a quid it's like a dollar it's like a one us dollar the deal was available for several years until microsoft ended it this past march saying that it was evaluating different marketing and promotions for new members in the future the trial returned last month offering the same terms as before this doesn't appear to have lasted long however as spotted by xbox game pass the polish xbox website sorry x sorry i've read that wrong as spotted by xgp my mind just uh read that uh, as if it was just an acronym, although that's probably what it is. Uh, as spotted by XGP, the Polish Xbox site was offering just 14 days of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate uh, for four z- zolty, whatever. I'm sorry, it's Polish currency, rather than the full month as usual. VGC confirmed that this offer appears to have changed accordingly to the re- other regions too, offering 14 do- uh, days of Game Pass for $1 a month instead of... Uh, uh, for, sorry, for that first month instead of for the full the full month. I'm, I'm butchering it. A dollar for two weeks of Game Pass as opposed to a dollar for a full month. There you go. The $1 offer reintrodu- reintroduction last month followed Microsoft's decision to raise Xbox Game Pass prices, which we talked about about two weeks ago. As of July 6th, or not, a little bit longer ago, I'm losing my mind, it must have been a month ago. But as of July 6th, price increases have hit most markets except for Norway, Chile, Denmark, Switzerland, and Saudi Arabia. Monthly price of Xbox Game Pass subscription for consoles rose from 10 bucks to 11 the price of Game Pass Ultimate rose from $15 a month to $17 a month, and the price of PC Game Pass did not change at all, remaining strong at $10 a month. So, I think this is, unfortunately, a little bit of an L for, you know, new new people coming to Game Pass. But at the same time, I don't feel too bad about it, and it's, you know, not to, like, be like, fuck the consumers, I defend the corporations or anything, but, like... I don't know, man. Like, the introductory one month of Game Pass for $1 deal has been around for so long. I I actually think Xbox should have stayed away from this deal because I don't... I mean, I don't know. I don't have the fucking telemetry to see what's going on. But I can't imagine that this is doing that much for them now. You know, like, I'm sure back in the earlier days of Game Pass, this was a great introductory offer. And I can see why maybe you'd want to bring it back from time to time for a little bit just to kind of like re-entice lapsed subscribers or to get some new people who have recently joined the Xbox side of things. I don't know, but I, I think they've offered this deal too often for too long and it's more of a way for people to exploit Game Pass than it is for people to be introduced and acquainted with Game Pass, although maybe I'm just looking at that in a negative light and and, and the reality is the telemetry and the data shows that perhaps this has been a really, really beneficial deal. I mean, it must be. That's why they keep doing it. But reducing this from 30 days to 14 days makes complete and total sense. I mean, you are about to release Starfield on Xbox Series X and S and Xbox... Oh, yeah, just... No, not one Xbox Series X and S and PC, and that's going to be a day one Game Pass game. And I mean, people just have the opportunity to subscribe to a month of Game Pass for one dollar and play the brand new seventy dollar Starfield game for a buck for thirty days. I mean, you're you're kind of not really 
doing yourself a, a, a whole a, much of a favor considering how expensive that game was to develop, how long it's been development, and how this is just an easy exploit for people who want to jump in, pour through the main quest of Starfield, dick around in its world for a couple weeks, and then bounce once their one month the game passes up. Even then, I still think 14 days is kind of a lot of time considering how badly people could exploit this to just go experience Starfield and all that it has to offer for the most part and then bounce. You know, obviously, it's, it's going to be a huge game. I can understand how this will be one of those games where people will put hundreds, if not thousands of hours into Starfield. But the majority of people who will play Starfield will be like most other gamers and, you know, probably not see it through to completion and probably just put... I don't know, 10, 20, maybe 30, 40 hours into the game. So you could see with 14 days for just a dollar, you could see how a lot of, especially PC gamers, that's really what I'm thinking of, how a lot of PC gamers might be like, I'm not paying fucking $70 for Starfield. Are you kidding me? I'm just going to pay a dollar, get a couple weeks of Game Pass, just race through the main quest line and play around in this universe for two weeks. And then after my two-week trial's up, peace, I'm on to freaking Spider-Man 2 or or Alan Wake 2, or whatever else is coming out this fall, because there's a, it's a packed fall. There's a lot of good games coming out, you know, in the coming in the coming months. So why would you, you know, why would you not take advantage of a deal like this? So honestly, I I think in this this sounds like the Xbox we knew from back in the 360 days. I feel like this deal should be like one dollar for a for a for a week of Game Pass, like a full seven day trial of Game Pass for just a dollar, and then at the end of that seven days. If you want to extend it out, you know, there, go ahead and pay your $11, $15, $17, whatever it is. Um, I feel like that is what the deal might maybe should be to try and entice people to come over and try out Starfield. I think 14 days is still a little excessive, but I can understand how, you know, anytime you take away a benefit or a feature or something like this, you can see how it's anti-consumer, people are upset, bring this back, whatever. But again, I, I just... I don't know. I I personally feel like this is this is a potential exploit for people to manipulate this very 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 hundreds of millions of dollars game that uh, in, in development cost that Xbox is about to release in Starfield and I don't know maybe you don't want to make it so easily exploitable and accessible to people who aren't going to pay to get in but I mean if, hey if they want to leave that door open if they want to leave that option available to people that that's their problem. I'm going to still keep my $17 a month subscription to Game Pass Ultimate and uh enjoy Starfield as well as many other games after that. But um yeah, I mean, so something to keep in mind uh if you if you don't have Game Pass and you maybe want to go get your one month now, I I don't know. I think it's already enacted, so maybe maybe you're too late. I don't know. But whatever. Let's move on. Let's talk about Exoprimal for a little bit. Let's talk about a little update regarding that game that came to Game Pass a few weeks ago. Speaking of day one content on Game Pass, Capcom's Exoprimal could get Dino Crisis content in the future if there's enough demand for it. According to the game's director, the plot of Exoprimal revolves around vortexes that have been appearing all over Earth, each with opposing a danger to the planet when hordes of dinosaurs of genetically modified variants called Neosaurs come out of these portals. Players control special soldiers called exofighters and have to defeat these prehistoric enemies and also deal with leviathans and AI. An AI that was originally designed to help exofighters was gone rogue. So that's a little synopsis of the game. Given the game's use of dinosaurs as enemy enemies, uh, website Silicon Era uh, asked the game's director, Takuro Hiraoka, if the game could ever eventually see content from Capcom's uh, legacy dinosaur game, Dino Crisis, come to the game kind of like how Resident Evil is uh is getting content for the game soon to which he said quote leviathan is the type of entity that will go on any means to collect a variety of useful combat data 
he replied. If there's enough demand for players, Leviathan very well could make this a reality. Being a little cute, a little tongue-in-cheek here, saying... Uh, Capcom has already announced that Exoprimal will be getting a series of Capcom collaborations, starting with Street Fighter crossovers and a Monster Hunter crossover in Season 3. I misspoke. There is no Resident Evil crossover announced yet. Maybe they'll do that later. But, yeah, I mean, listen, this is the game that, from the moment it was announced, everyone was like, oh, my God, is Capcom bringing back Dino Crisis? Look, there's a girl with red hair. There's dinosaurs. This must be Dino Crisis. And it's become abundantly clear over time, as they have insisted repeatedly, this game is not Dino Crisis. It's not related to Dino Crisis. Stop asking for Dino Crisis. But now they're basically just like, okay, if you guys want Dino Crisis, we will we'll make this somehow related through some kind of seasonal crossover event. But you know, you just gotta you gotta beg for it. And I feel like this is another one of those Banjo Kazooie type moments where there's a there's a very loud minority of people who grew up during the PS1 era and recall Dino Crisis and are nostalgic for that era of gaming, whether they played the game or not, and just want to see something from that era come back and be revitalized. So the idea of seeing Dino Crisis have a crossover with Exoprimal sounds exciting. It sounds cool. And hey, I'm, I'm not knocking it either. I also think that sounds cool. But the reality is the overwhelming majority of people who are playing Exoprimal probably don't know what the fuck Dino Crisis is. And if they do, they barely remember it. Two, aren't clamoring for that series to come back in any way, shape, or form. And three, using a game like Dino Crisis, a, a dead, unused IP like that, to try and keep the game going and sustain through seasonal content is such a bad use of, of time and resources when in, in attention because, you know, this game has a limited amount of time to have the attention of players while it's still fresh and new. When you could use IP you own that is more proven and more tried and true and much more popular and relevant, like Monster Hunter or Street Fighter. So you, you kind of understand why... They haven't gone with Dino Crisis, although I think it would be cool. I feel like this is one of those things where, like, if the game stays popular long enough to sustain a player base for, like, a Season 4, Season 5, a Season 6, that's kind of when we would start to see Dino Crisis is when they're scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit, trying to come up with some kind of crossover for the game. Uh, I think the director... Mr. Uh, Hiroka was saying something about how he'd like to see a Mega Man crossover, which I also think would be pretty fucking cool. Like, I this game is already ridiculous and wacky in every way, shape, and form. So I'm all for, like, just do any and every crossover you can. Why the fuck not? You know, if we can have freaking Cardi B and Call of Duty or whatever the hell they just recently did, it's like, well, I don't care. Everything is, everything is off... You know, every, everything is on the table, I should say, for negotiation. So let's just, let's do anything and everything, because why the fuck not? And by that token, I would just like to say I would like to have Buzz Lightyear, Lightning McQueen, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Spider-Man in every single video game from now until forever, because those are my favorite characters, and that would be cool. And you can also put Wolverine in there, and Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe, and then maybe some old fucking Epcot dancers or something from 1982 i don't fucking know cram them all in there and we'll be good it'll be a good time and then my parents will stop fighting and maybe they'll even get back together i don't know all right so there's that all right we got one more mildly amusing story before we jump into like our two and only other stories of the week but i thought this one was weird i don't really know that i have a whole lot to say about this but i did just want to shout it out because it's interesting so from vgc the numbers of the, sorry the number of employees working on video games in the nation the great nation of Italy in the year 2022 was 50% higher than it was in 2021. The increase as reported by Italian trade body the Italian Interactive Digital Entertainment Association or the IIDEA or the EDEA 
uh, suggests that Italian games industry is rapidly growing in size. One of the main reasons for the growth is the number of game developers in Italy. Sorry, one of the main reasons for that number in Italy uh, was a decision made by the Italian government in 2021 to introduce a tax credit for video game developers. That's always the reason. Anytime film is booming in Canada, film is booming in Georgia, game development is booming in Canada, game development is booming in Italy. It's always government tax credit, no doubt. Companies that have their headquarters in Europe, uh, in the European economic area and are subject to taxation in Italy can claim a 25% tax credit towards their development costs up to a total of 1 million euro. According to the IIDEA's reports, there were over 2,400 people working in games in Italy during 2022, and 20% of the companies employing between 11 and 20 staff, a 5% raise compared to 2021. Nearly 70% uh, of companies also said that they are planning to hire more staff to work with new partners over the next two years, which was 10% more than last year. It's also relatively a young workforce with only 7% of employees being older than 40 and around 82% of the workforce being between the ages of 25 to 35, meaning that meanwhile, 24% of employees are women up 1% compared to 2021, which is 24% female workforce in games industry in the games industry. That's actually, that's relatively, that's, that's pretty diverse considering, um, you know, I, I guess what, what you would assume of the games industry, <clears throat> just based on the people um, who play video games, I, I say as I smell my fucking armpits, I really ought to shower. Okay, all stupidity aside, I think this is actually a really smart move. It's, it's funny because when you think about <clears throat> European game development, Italy is certainly a country that doesn't come to mind. In fact, the only Italian developer, while I'm sure there are many, the only Italian video game developer in any way, shape, or form that I can even think of off the top of my head is uh, Milestone which is, and I really don't even know what they're known for other than just this one thing they're working on, is the the developer behind Hot Wheels Unleashed. I know they're about to release Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 in like another couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, I know they're an Italian game developer. Uh, by the way, shout out to Hot Wheels Unleashed. That game's freaking awesome. But yeah, um, other than that, it's, it's weird because you think about video game the video game industry in Europe, obviously the UK is a crazy big place for game development. In England in particular is a... Is a is a country full of really prominent game developers. Um, you know, many of Xbox's own teams as well, uh, being being a British uh, creation. Uh, and then you think about a lot of, you think about France, of course. I mean, Ubisoft, the publishers from France, and many of their teams are in France. Uh, you know, Arcane's got a team in France, The actually the original Arcane team. Leon, that's uh, the guys who are basically all quitting their jobs because they all had to make Redfall. But joking aside, I mean, you think about France is a prominent country for game development. Definitely UK is a prominent place for game development. Germany, a prominent place for game development. And then you think about like some of the more like Eastern side of, of Europe, like definitely as you get towards like, like Poland and Ukraine and all these other countries over there. And even, even stuff like um, my, my beloved remedy entertainment being a, a Finnish company and all that. So like you have game developers, prominent ones all over. I mean, Fuck, we even got Russian game developers. I mean, fucking uh, Saber Interactive, they're, they're a Russian team. So, I mean, you, you think about prominent uh, developers all over Europe, and it's just, I don't know, Italy is one that doesn't come to mind. Even even Spain has that one developer that makes those, like, 2D Metroid games and shit. I forget their name. I want to say Silicon Knight, but I know that's not true. I think Silicon Knight is the team that made, they're from California, and they made that Metal Gear Solid remake on GameCube back in the day. E either way, it doesn't matter. Point being, Italy is, you know, despite being one of those generic European countries that comes to everyone's mind when someone says Europe, they're not really known for game development. And, uh, you know, Italy's a nation that's kind of got a, 
economy. You know, Italy is one of those countries. I feel like that's they 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 don't have a bad economy, but they're not. You know, they kind of a little bit of a rocky a rocky history with that. If if I'm you know I, I'm incredibly ignorant, but if I'm not mistaken, um, you know the economy of Italy hasn't been phenomenal in recent history. I know things have like stagnated. They've got like a weird population issue there. They've got kind of stagnant production. Just it's an expensive place to live energy and all that shit like so italy is not known as like this this country of like a booming you know they're they're like the u.s a little bit it's kind of like a, a an economy that is kind of like matured and done its thing and now it's just like kind of like shit in the bed and i know economies are rough you know, global economy is kind of rough everywhere right now so uh, but specifically with italy it's like one of those things where it's like you could see the italian government trying to look around the map look at their surrounding neighbors and say Okay, we need to find new industries to grow in. We need to attract new business to our country. We need to try and, and do something about this. What can we do? And they're looking around. They're seeing, obviously, entertainment. Entertainment's an industry that's always booming. And they're seeing how games are, are huge. I mean, freaking Embracer Group is this massive fucking conglomerate of, of uh, well, not all European, but a lot of European teams owned by this European group from Sweden that's just, like, gobbling up so much of the talent out there in fucking Europe. And and so I, I wonder if they're looking around at things like Embracer and Ubisoft and Focus Entertainment and CD Projekt Red and all these developing and publishing arms all throughout Europe that just bring in massive, massive dollars through these this lucrative industry of, of gaming, and they go huh, well, let's come up with some kind of government tax incentive to draw more developers, more publishers, more creative games industry-oriented folks over to uh, our country of pasta-loving, shitty sports car-driving guidos. And so that's the action they've taken. And look at that. gaming Game development is booming in Italy, which I always really welcome stuff like this because, you know, like there's there's a lot of, like, emerging markets for gaming, not as in, like, the country is an emerging market, but whereas, like, gaming being a well-known prominent product or or you know product or export of that nation has not been well known or documented until now where we're seeing that really start to emerge in places like india and china and uh, even like Indo indonesia and stuff and so I, I love seeing that stuff like spread out and become more prominent and now we're starting to see it happen in in italy a little bit and i welcome this shit because you think about gaming and it's like historically gaming is so dominated by mostly two countries Japan and the United States. And then, of course, you know, Canada has definitely fought their way into that conversation. England's definitely fought their way into that conversation over many decades at this point with wonderful developers and great games and things like that. And, you know, there's there's always the, the, the odd ones here and there. But but for the most part, video games in their most prominent form have been largely dominated by, it seems like, video game developers from Tokyo, Japan and California, United States, America. Like it's, th that's it. Right. And so I, I always welcome this, I, this spread of l passion and love for video games and the kind of unique cultural perspectives and interpretations of what gaming can be based on your unique experiences and getting that injected into gaming. Um, to me, that's like a lot more exciting than like the kind of shit we get where it's just like, we are yet another California-based studio, and we're going to make an awesome game where you can put a penis on your character if you want. And it's like, okay, your game's still boring. I don't care. But, you know, you get some fucking Italians making a game. I don't know. Like, like what what could, like, a really great Italian developer even come up with? Because you, you got to think, it's like, that's actually, like, a really fun and creative exercise. Like, I can imagine, like, you put, like, the best and brightest developers together in a room in Italy, 
they might come up with some kind of like fun platforming adventure where maybe like you're some Italian plumber that eats pizza and, and you got to like save a princess or some shit like that. I mean, like the possibilities are endless. You can come up with anything. Maybe you put the little Italian guy in a go-kart and see what he does with his friends. I don't know. I'm just spitballing ideas here, but maybe what they do is you get the Italians to to look at Japan and say, "Hey, you guys made so you guys made such a name for yourselves through video games off the back of our culture by bastardizing our culture." And so maybe the Italians get back at the Japanese. They get they go, "Mr. Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, you know, we saw what you did to our people with this with this Mario Brothers, and and we raised you one point with the uh, you know they come up with something." Something crazy, something maybe a little racist, like Super Takashi Brothers. It's, yeah, it's these fucking these these Japanese electricians, and they run around Japan, fucking eating bowls of ramen and sushi rolls, and 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 jumping on Godzillas and things like that, and fucking turn it on its head, man. The you know, the Japanese took Italian culture from you and bastardized it when they created Mario, and now I think it's only fair that maybe the Italians do the same to the Japanese. Listen, I'm an American. I don't have a horse in this race. I'm just standing back, egging on the battle is all I'm doing, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Super Takashi Brothers or whatever the hell you want to call it. Let's make it fucking happen. Uh, so, anyway, stupidity aside... Shout out to Italy and your uh, your investments and your growth and game development. This is awesome. I wish we could see governments do more things like, I don't know, tax incentives to bring, like, game development to our countries instead of, like, I don't know, maybe stealing fucking money from working class people so you can give bombs to... Uh, to uh, the to Ukraine or to sustain war with Saudi Arabia genociding Yemen or some bullshit like that, you know. Just make, make some fucking video games. That'd be cool. Maybe we can fix our roads. Our roads are kind of shit. Anyway, that's it for all of our opening news stories. God, we're like three hours in, and all we've talked about is uh, some racist Japanese joke and uh, criticizing our government. So, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty pretty standard episode of the xbox on podcast but uh with that said we'll jump into the main news segment but real quick i want to take a break and talk to you about the games i've been playing this week give you a little feedback on that here from you guys about the games you've been playing as well although i don't think we have any comments about that but before i can tell you about the games i've been playing this week i do real quick want to tell you about what i've been eating you guys it's a little bit of a different scenario over in our apartment these days because we're in the process we're in the official process we're like the, the home we, we get we're under contract for a home the home is being built as we speak i'm very excited about that uh very much looking forward to that but with that comes uh just a period of being profoundly poor like just so insanely poor that like i can't afford to do anything other than like eat peanut butter and jelly right now so we're trying to be absurdly frugal with our money right now and so i'm trying to embrace i'm like trying to make lemonade out of lemons here and so i'm like you know what we're kind of blessed because we live two miles down the road from an aldi which we talked about last week and i'm just like trying to really embrace it like i'm gonna try to shop as little as possible at like Publix or Sam's Club or Walmart or Target or any of these other grocery store places because they end up just being so costly. So I mean, I'm trying to stick as close as I can to getting 100%. It's unrealistic to do 100%, but as close to 100% as I possibly can get all of my grocery shopping done at Aldi because Aldi is just so much cheaper than every other grocery store. So I'm trying to like I'm trying to like make a thing out of it, like try to like fanboy about it a little bit, just so it can get me hyped about like, fuck it, yeah, I'm owning it. I, I I shop at Aldi. It's a good way to save money while I wait for my house to be built and all these things. So we're doing the shopping at Aldi this week, and and I'm like, you know what? 
let's uh let's really lean into like the the different brands of Aldi. Like for those who don't know, Aldi's famous like one of the things they're known for is the way they're able to stay so cheap is that they have such a limited selection of items that's constantly rotating and it's all basically knockoff brands. So you can get anything you want, you can get any kind of fucking you can get Cheez-Its, you can get peanut butter, you can get mayonnaise, you can get hot dogs, you can get freaking coffee creamer and it's all just like the same ones you'd buy at Walmart or Target or Kroger or Publix or whatever grocery store you have whatever grocery store equivalent you have in your area but at Aldi it's all knockoff brand almost all of it they have some name brand stuff that like temporarily will come in and go but 99% of what they sell is all knockoff brand and generally it's actually pretty good sometimes it's not the tortilla chips suck but most of the stuff they have there is actually pretty good. I'm actually a big fan of all these knockoff Pringles. I think, you know, they're not as good as regular Pringles, but they're very good in a different way. But this week, I fell in love with a different one of their knockoff products, and it is the Aldi brand Nutella, which I actually don't know what they call it, but it's something, something, something hazelnut spread. And it got me thinking, how have we never brought up Nutella? And this is appropriate. We've already talked about Italy once today. So Nutella is just such a special, special spread. Uh, the hazelnut spread. And I, th I think about it, I'm like, why? I, I grew up in a house, you know, I'm a typical American, so I grew up in a household where my pantry always had a jar of peanut butter in it because what American household that isn't allergic to peanuts doesn't have a jar of peanut butter lying around somewhere? So, you know, I'm, I'm very accustomed to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a very American um, sandwich that is just kind of ridiculous when you think about what it is, just a shit ton of sugar on some starchy bread and you expect your kids not to get diabetes with that shit? Like, what are we doing here? But it's great. I love the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's good shit. It's a it's American classic, and, and there's a time and place for it where it can really hit the spot. And so I'm trying to jazz it up a little bit. I'm trying to, like, just eat, like, peanut butter and jelly and bananas and shit like that at work because it's cheap, it's easy, it's quick, it's whatever. And uh, I, th I thought about it. I'm like, what if we do, instead of peanut butter, Nutella? And so I got the Aldi brand Nutella, and this shit is so good. The only difference between the Aldi brand Nutella and the name brand Nutella is, first of all, the Aldi brand's like $2.50 a jar, whereas the name brand Nutella's like 6 or $7 a jar. And the Aldi brand, for some reason, it's, it's a little, like, it's a little thinner. Like, the consistency's a little thinner. It's almost more, like, liquidy, kind of like a, like a real peanut butter, how, like, a real pe peanut butter's more oily and kind of, like, uh, watered down a little bit. Um, instead of that kind of like thick, almost solidified texture. So that's really the only difference. Otherwise, flavor-wise, it's practically just like Nutella. And it's delicious. I, I mean it on toast. I mean it on, on non-toasted bread. I mean, it, I tried it with jelly. I tried like a like a Nutella and jelly sandwich instead of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That was pretty good, too. Like, I'm just, I'm having a field day here with Nutella right now. I'm enjoying just dipping it in bread, taking a spoonful and just licking a spoonful of Nutella. Hazelnut is really good shit. I know you get the hazelnut coffee creamer and things like that. There's the famous German treats or, or there's Italian. I don't know, Ferrera, Rocher's. I thought, actually, I think those might be Italian, but there's like Kinder Joys and things like that. Those are the German treats that have hazelnut in them. So fucking good, dude. Hazelnut is so good on candy. It's so good in chocolate bars. It's so good on, on bread as, a, as like a peanut butter alternative. I just... Shout out to the hazelnut spread, shout out to Nutella, and shout out to Aldi's knockoff Nutella, which is significantly cheaper and still just as delicious. I'm a huge fan, so I want—I just want to give, give Nutella a little shout out, give Aldi another little shout out. You're doing right by me. Dude, you can easily, I mean, it's two people, like, in my household, we're, we're blessed, we don't have kids, so it's cheaper, but easily keep our grocery bill under 100 bucks a week by shopping at Aldi's, like, easily. Like, still get meats, produce, 
all the good stuff, like trying to cook homemade meals from scratch every night for dinner, easily keep your grocery bill under a hundred bucks by shopping at Aldi. It's good stuff. Shrimp, chicken, try to avoid the red meats as much as I can, but you know, you get your rice, you get your produce, you get your different seasonings and all, all the rest. And you can make yourself damn good meals every night shopping just at Aldi, saving a bunch of money, but don't skip out on the Nutella. It's good stuff. All right. That's it for what I've been eating. Real quick, let's get into what I've been playing. It's the same game as last week. It's Homefront the Revolution, although this time I have a lot more to say about it because I'm at the tail end of the game. I'm about, I don't know, 12, 14 hours into the game now. And I'm at the tail end. I'm, I'm literally like within an hour of beating this game. I'm in the last few missions. I gotta say, I'm really enjoying this game. It is, it is definitely a poor man's far cry in a lot of ways, but I don't mean that as an insult to the game. I genuinely think this game is... Just really, really fun. Again, like I said last week, if you enjoy games like Far Cry and you're just looking for something that kind of scratch that itch, I think Homefront the Revolution is definitely a game worth going back to, especially because it's almost always on like dirt cheap sale. I'm pretty sure I got it for like six or eight dollars back when I first downloaded it like a year or two ago. And it's just it's just a really good time. Dan Buster Studios, British team, doesn't have a whole lot under their belt. They were making they were doing the Dead Island 2. They were doing Dead Island 2 a few years ago, and then they got pulled off the project because it ended up in development hell, and then it got handed over to who Asobo or whoever but yeah anyway they, they don't have a lot under their belt in terms of games they've made but Homefront the Revolution I would say again people hate this game because it launched in a terrible state I can't speak to that because I'm playing it for the first time now they have many times over fixed and updated this game to a point where I think it's very much playable now don't get me wrong the game is still a little it's still not a little it's still very budgety and very janky in a lot of ways uh, but not in a way that makes it unplayable. I, I would say my biggest frustration I've had with the game that just screams like this game was kind of a rushed, budgety, kind of not fully fleshed out game from a seriously capable AAA team. The only thing that like really stands out that way to me is the fact that, and this gets worse as you progress through the game, get closer to the end. There are sometimes in missions where it's just like not abundantly clear what the game wants you to do and not in like a, oh, it's a puzzle and I got to figure it out kind of way but more in a way that's like that's just bad game design like for example i was playing this mission the other night where these two guys were like kidnapped and then they were like tied up and locked in a cargo ship and so i had to like go to the shipping yard and it was like a stealth mission i had to sneak past the guys take them out one by one and then go find the shipping container where these guys were were trapped and left to die and free them from the shipping container. Okay, cool. I go out. I do that mission. That's cool. That's fun. Whatever. The guys are free. The guys are like, if you can get us on a, on a boat out of here, we'll give you whatever this, this, and that, and the other. I don't know. The story's kind of lame, so I'm not paying too much attention. Okay, so now I'm on this other part of the mission. I got to go find a boat to get these guys out of here. I find the boat at the other side of the dockyard, but lo and behold, it's out there, and I got to use this rope to pull it back to shore, and in order to pull the rope, I need to, I need to power up this generator that's on a raft to, you know, to pull whatever. It doesn't matter. I need to power on this generator, and the game makes it very clear. The mission objective is, like, find the power generator and turn it on. I'm like, okay, that's easy, and so I see where the power generator is on the map. I climb up the building where it's resting on the top. It's even kind of obvious as, like, the video game visual cues where, like, there's where I need to turn the generator on, but I need to get the power on. You can trace the bright yellow cord from where I need to turn it on to where the, the generator backup box is or whatever, and so I'm following the yellow cord. It's all the way up on the roof of this building that's, like, half broken down, and I'm like, okay, this is easy. It's fun, whatever, and it took me, like, 30 minutes to figure out the game doesn't want me to go find the power generator and then, like, 
press X to activate it or knock it or add fuel into it or whatever the fuck I had to do. For some goddamn reason, it wants me to take a dirt bike that is just laying on the ground near the building, ride it up this ramp behind the building, trick shot into the second floor of the building because the building is like half destroyed. So jump off this ramp on a dirt bike, trick shot into the second floor of the building, and then you ride the dirt bike up the stairs to the top of the building, and then ride the dirt bike directly into like the power generator. And the only reason I even thought to do this after 30 minutes of trying to figure out what the fuck to do is because some reason the generator has a picture of a dirt bike spray painted onto it. So I'm like, what the, f what the fuck is it? Like, I, I got to the point where I was like, it keeps showing this picture. Am I supposed to do something with the dirt bike and the generator? And so I got all the way up there and I'm still not really quite sure what happens. I don't know if this is what you're supposed to do, but I drove my, my dirt bike into the generator and that triggered like a, a cutscene where it's like, great, you did it. Come down here and pull that raft up to shore. I'm like, okay, I did it. I, I guess it's like that kind of janky shit where it's just like, the fuck it like it just kind of halts the progress and the fun of the game to kind of confuse you for a second it's like did i need to siphon the gas from the dirt bike and pour it into like the portable power generator so i could power up the engine thing and pull the i don't know i don't it doesn't make it very clear uh so it's like it's like stupid stuff like that that will happen like in early in the game it happens very rarely and then as you get towards the end of the game it just it's like every other mission i'm running into some kind of stupid hang up like that where it's just like that wasn't very properly conveyed to the player, and it's kind of dumb, but whatever, I guess. Ultimately, I'm finding this game to be a really great podcast game. It's that kind of game where, like, after an hour or two of playing, you basically figure out all that this game has to offer. You're like, okay, these are the kinds of missions you do, the missions where you eliminate all the enemies, the missions where you take over this enemy base, the mission where you um, recruit people to help join the revolution and fight the cause against the North Koreans. Like it's like the same kind of missions and it's very much like far cry. You, you figure out kind of what the op, the, the mission structures of a far cry game are, and you just kind of tune out and start to just check the boxes on the map. And that's kind of how this game feels. And it's a lot of fun in the moment to moment for, for the most part, but the story is like overwhelmingly underutilized which is so sad because the setting and the synopsis of the game are fucking great it's so cool you're you're in like this post-apocalyptic war-torn philadelphia in the year 2025 and north korea has invaded the united states and taken over and they're like just fucking treating the americans like shit and like putting them in camps and like the americans are trying to like rise up and build a resistance to fight back against the north koreans i'm like that's a really fucking cool alternate history synopsis for like some war-torn video game. Like I, I'm down for that, but the game somehow takes an idea that's that rich and just completely squanders the entire thing by just being like, yeah, it's a North Korean occupied USA in the year 2025. And guess what? There's not a single Korean character in the fucking game. The only reason you even know anything's Korean is because sometimes on enemy bases, there's like signs with like Korean characters on it. Or sometimes if you sneak up behind a bad guy and like fucking stab him in the side of the neck, he'll go like, ah, 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 and your character will like turn his head or something. And you'll see like a vaguely Asian looking face. You'll be like, I, I guess he's a Korean or something. But it's so weird because all of the characters that have speaking roles and are a part of the story and matter in this game are just a bunch of Americans rising up together to form a revolt against the Koreans. I'm like, can't you take the Far Cry parallels, the Far Cry um, 
inspiration this game clearly has to the next level and be like, okay, what's the thing Far Cry games does do so well? They have really badass villains. Okay, so why don't you get like a super badass psychopathic like Korean general who's like overseeing the Philadelphia territory of North Korea occupied United States and like have him be this bad guy and the game is like centered around your resistance rising up to kill that guy and take back Philadelphia from the Koreans or something like that. It's like, that's cool. Have like a crazy badass villain who like, I, it's like, he's like fucking terrifying and he's like insanely, just insanely powerful and sick and, and, and just ridiculous like have him be over the top and have him be like like this guy that strikes fear into your heart like that'd be fucking cool have him be an absolute psychopath like a far cry villain like i'm down for that but they have this amazing synopsis and setting for a game and they just don't do any of that there's like just literally like even when it's like oh no the 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 the, like the the revolution or the uh resistance or whatever kind of gets like snuffed out they don't even have like some leader on tv like talking about it they just literally have like this uh american mayor in philadelphia who's like in influenced by the koreans to be like anyone who's caught joining this resistance group will be will be jailed or killed for for you know revolting or whatever it's like okay like what like that's the big bad guy or something is the fucking the fat mayor dude the fat bald mayor guy like what the fuck is this about so that like it's but it's it's simple stuff like that where it's like this is a kind of game you're not really playing for the story. So I'm not super upset about it. You know, like whenever a big cutscene happens, I'll pause my podcast, listen up. And it's the same shit. You know, it's like the stupid, crazy character who's like, I'm so fucking my blood boils because these Koreans killed my dad. And now I'm mad and I want to, I want to fight back. And then it's like, you know, the other guy who's like, Hey rookie, I really didn't think you had it in you, but you proved me wrong by being good at shooting video game characters. I guess you have what it takes to join the resistance. It's like shit like that. It just happens like ad nauseum. It's like that same kind of platitudes on endless repeat through the, through the cutscenes. I'm like, eh, this is tur- skip, turn off, move, fast forward. I don't care. But when you're, when you're kind of in the zone and you're just doing mission to mission, the open world's fun. It's very, it's, it's a lot of diversity, a lot of variedness. It's not just one massive open world. It's like, smaller open areas where there's like these different fast travel points to get you to like a a very like um there's like the aristocrat uh there's like the militarized aristocratic kind of like korean occupied where like all the uh like the higher up like korean military forces live and that's like kind of this like dystopian looking like really pretty militarized area and then there's like the deserted outlands where it's like the old highway system in Philadelphia and it's just like it just looks like war-torn fucking Afghanistan or some shit it's like it's really cool and there's like all these different underground places and and all this shit so like there's different like smaller open worlds to explore within this overarching Philadelphia setting which I, I appreciate a lot but again it's like they just never narratively do anything with that really cool idea but I'm enjoying the game a lot the co- the, the shooting is good uh, the way you can customize and modify your guns is actually really cool you can like buy a pistol upgrade the pistol then buy attachments for the pistol and then like anytime in game like you press down on the d-pad and your character will whip out his pistol and then you can just on the fly modify the scope the the, the muzzle the the clip or you can transform you can like modify the um the pistol into like an smg or you can modify your shotgun into like a fully automatic shotgun or you can modify your rifle into like a flamethrower like really crazy cool shit like that which is 
very unique, very fun, a little underutilized because I feel like you can unlock and purchase and upgrade everything by like the halfway point in the game. But still, like the very concept of this of this mechanic, I think is really cool, really interesting. So I don't know. I, li I like the game a lot, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm just I'm having a lot of fun with it while also acknowledging it is half baked in a lot of ways. It's a little it's a little cheesy and, you know, there's a lot of things that could have been a lot better than they are. But overall, you know, I'm really enjoying the game. Um, just, yeah, the, as far as like being broken or buggy, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's, it feels a little jank, but like there's nothing like game breaking. It's not like frame rate issues or anything. The frame rate's a little like like some, it's like 45 to 60 FPS generally, but it's not like, you know, it's not like, oh, I can't play this game. It's absolute shit. It's, it's fine. Um, it does weird stuff like you'll it'll be like complete daylight outside and then you'll hack an enemy terminal. And then like after the cutscene is like like a base successfully taken over and like mission objective complete, it'll just like flash that across your screen and then it resumes gameplay and it's like suddenly gone from like 1 p.m. in the afternoon to like 3 a.m. pitch black dark and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to pull up my flashlight now. But like it's, I don't know, it's like stuff where I'm able to just kind of like chuckle, like just laugh it off and move on and enjoy the game for what it is. Um, not every game needs to be, you know, a, a Starfield or something like whoa, this is, this is revolutionary. Some, some games can be a little like rough around the edges and you can just kind of let that be part of the enjoyment. And for me, that's what this is. It's, it's moment to moment game is a lot of fun despite its shortcomings, but I really enjoy Homefront the Revolution. Again, if you, if you're looking for like some kind of fun, cheap weekend romp version of like a Far Cry game on a budget, Homefront the Revolution, highly recommend it. It's for the, for the intersection of Call of Duty and Far Cry fans, Homefront the Revolution. It's a good time. So that's it for what I've been playing. Uh, I should be wrapping that up in the next session or two of playing it. I, again, I think I'm literally down to like the last hour or so of the game. But that said, yeah, hopefully moving on to Atlas Fallen, if it looks like it, things are panning out well for what that game is. If not, I guess I'll just go back to Modern Warfare 2 until, um, until Starfield comes out, I guess. But let's take a quick break, and then we'll get into the main news, you guys. Appreciate seeing you on the other side in just a second. All right, welcome back, and I'm in a great mood just because we get to talk about Call of Duty. I know, I know. Probably tired of hearing about it all the time, but fuck you, I like it. Uh, but that's not what we're going to start off with. You guys, we only got two stories really to talk about this week, but that's okay. First one here is about a game I'm sure you weren't expecting to hear about in the news this week, Killer Instinct. That's right. Killer Instinct, the 2013 Xbox One uh, free-to-play fighting game. So it's getting an update. What the hell is that all about? So let's get into it. VGC, the only website my internet lets me on. Iron Galaxy is returning to create the 10th anniversary update for Xbox's Killer Instinct reboot later this year. The update, which was announced on stage at Evo this past week in Las Vegas, will include balance tweaks, improved matchmaking, and 4K support for the series S and X. The reboot of Rare's classic fighting game franchise was first revealed for the Xbox One back in 2013, developed by Double Helix Games, and was supported with updates and new characters until 2016. After Double Helix's sale to Amazon, post-launch content was moved to Iron Galaxy. Quote, we're doing a balance update and a major, major upgrade to all PlayFab services, James Gordard, uh, design director of Killer Instinct's second and third seasons, told audiences at Evo. Matchmaking's a lot smoother, tournaments are easier, and more uh, Killer Instinct for the next 10 years. Xbox's boss, Phil Spencer, discussed the possibilities of Microsoft bringing back Killer Instinct in a, 20, uh, sorry, in a 2021 interview, saying, quote, I will just say, Xbox Game Studios head Matt Booty and I have discussed many times Killer Instinct and where we would like it for it to go. If it's not out of our minds, it might be out of our minds, but it's 
in our heart and in our minds that we want to continue doing something with it. Oh my, it's about finding the right team and the right opportunity, but it is due to, but it is not due to any kind of lack of desire on our part. And we're not doing more with Killer Instinct because we love the franchise and the community. So basically saying we don't, we don't have the right idea, the right team and the right opportunity to do it but we want to do something with it. It's just a matter of who and when stars aligning and those sorts of things, whatever. Xbox passing on Killer Instinct has been such a massive L, I think, in my opinion, just because also remember the PS5 or PS4 generation was kind of met with this whole Street Fighter V was just arbitrarily exclusive to PlayStation 4 and Xbox had Killer Instinct. And that was kind of like the big fighting game duo uh, for the for those two platforms last generation. But then, you know, Street uh, Street Fighter Six, which just came out this summer, is thankfully available on Xbox. So that franchise made its way back to Xbox. But I don't know. It would just I feel like it would be a double like one, two for Xbox if it was like, finally, we got we got Street Fighter back with Street Fighter Six and we still have our exclusive first party or I guess it's, it'd be second party. Someone else is developing it for them, but you know, our, our, our owned IP, our own fighting game with, with uh, killer instinct. And they just, they just don't have that thing to hold over. And I just feel like it's such a missed opportunity, especially with Xbox being so multiplayer centric and trying to grow their services and their brand on so many different platforms. It would be great to have something like killer instinct available on PC and Xbox and through game pass and through cloud streaming and on handheld because fighting the fighting game genre, dude, it's so, it's so big. Cause if you can successfully make a big fighting game, like a popular fighting game, those games have legs, man. Like the people will play those games for years and years and years to come. I mean, look at like super smash bros melee and street fighter two. And like these kinds of games where it's like, people just fucking play these games indiscriminately for decades and shit because they, they don't care. They just, if it's a good fighting game, a community will form around it. A meta will form around it. And then these games will make their way to these fighting game tournaments and just kind of live on forever and always. And I just feel like Xbox should have a game like that. You don't even necessarily need to make a new killer instinct. You just basically have to, find a team to bring this game back and start adding new content to it and update it to be Xbox series S and X enhanced and just keep this game going, man. Like it's just, I don't know. Killer instinct. I feel like this game doesn't have to go anywhere. And it's so crazy to see that we're getting it back in some way to be completely clear. This is somewhat of an underwhelming kind of just like, Hey, it's just an update to keep the game kind of going. We're adding 4k support, you know, which is literally what I was just saying they need to do. And and, um, you know, we're just kind of tweaking it so that it's still playable and enjoyable and balanced, you know, for players who are just getting into it now, which is which is cool. I mean, this is a game that's been dead for basically seven years. So to see that players are getting updates for it and, and there's some kind of love shown for the game shows that I think Xbox is testing the waters a little bit. Obviously, Evo being the big fighting game tournament of the year is the place to announce a thing like this. And so I think what they're trying to do is test the waters and be like, how do you guys feel about about Killer Instinct? Like, is this something you'll respond to? Is this something we need to like more imminently go to the well on and find some partner to work with to, to make a new one of these or to continue investing in this, this particular iteration? Like, what do we need to do here? And I think this is excellent news because Xbox is always always slaughtered on the first person shooter front with halo and everything. Although they've been slaughtered. They've been, they've been screwing that up, but you know, they're about to get Activision and call of duty and all that. So that's a different discussion. You know, they've been killing it with the Western RPGs lately between internally developed um, games and then the acquisition of Bethesda and getting things like Starfield and all that. So they're just on fire with that shit. They've historically always been great with racing games because they got both turn 10 and playground games, making Forza and Forza um, uh, horizon. So they've always been killing there, but I don't know, like something like fighting game. I feel like that's a stable game, you know, like a fighting game. Uh, it's, it's such a stable 
entry to have in your in your catalog in your lineup. Killer Instinct does this game that's like it's like come and gone, but it's I don't know the people that played it supported it with so much passion and love for it back in those early Xbox One years. That's just like you shouldn't have let this go. You should have just let this continue to nurture and grow. And I just I don't know. I feel like they're just leaving so much of this market by not investing in it. And hopefully this is a, a testing of the waters to to jump back in. Iron Galaxy, they're basically like a four higher. Usually they they do like ports and stuff. Um, they're weird. They're from, I think they're from Chicago, but they have multiple teams. Actually, one of their teams is here in Orlando. So there's an Iron Galaxy studio or, or office really not too far from where I live. Yeah, and they do a lot of port work. I know they did like Skyrim for Switch and stuff like that. And those are the kinds of projects they normally do is like porting Xbox games to Switch and porting old games helping do like remakes and remasters and stuff and like that's kind of like their bread and butter but yeah i mean working on i I don't know if they are a team that maybe could then be trusted with the killer instinct franchise to make a new entry i know you know historically it's one of those like rare properties but like you're not going to get rare to come back and be like yeah shelve Everwild and Sea of Thieves and come make a fighting game like Killer Instinct again. It's like you're, you're not going to get that. So you need to find, I don't know what it is. Maybe you need to form a studio. Maybe you need to go poach talent from other fighting games. But that's that's hard as well because the, the top tier fighting game studios are like all Japanese for the most part. So like good luck getting that talent because uh, you're Xbox and you're American. So I, I don't know, man, but I, I, I can see why they're in a rock in a rock and a hard place kind of situation because there really are no big american fighting games as, as far as i can th- oh what am i fucking thinking of uh mortal Kombat and injustice they need to go poach some talent from nether realm that's what they need to go do get some of those mortal Kombat guys and say can you guys make us a killer instinct game or, or something like that get some get, like find some really important guys that used to work at rare that worked on the original killer instinct uh find some guys that you know worked at these various teams like iron galaxy and supported this more recent entry and get them together and be like hey we're forming a new team we're gonna go poach some talent from nether realm let's go bring back killer instinct that's what you fucking do you know and then boom you hit the scene real hard in four years with a first party uh fighting game that just knocks the world's socks off and and, and says street fighter who Tekken who? More, more, what a Mortal Kombat or what's the other one? The Soul Calibur? I don't know, man. Like, just fucking do it. I feel like this is such a... This is one of those things. It's like, you don't need to go buy a team. You don't need to go buy an IP. You need to go make a thing, right? Those rumors a few years ago about Xbox buying WB games, like, they would have gotten Mortal Kombat. This is way more interesting than buying Mortal Kombat. Go revive Killer Instinct. Find the right guys. Put a team together. Let's bring back Killer Instinct. I'm all for it. I hope I hope we see more from this. I hope this isn't like the like just a one-off or, or coincidence. I hope this is a, a harbinger of things to come. All right, let's get into the only other story we have this week, which is all about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. That's right. It's officially been revealed following leaks and all these kinds of teases over the past couple of weeks. Uh, the publisher Activision has officially unveiled their first-person shooter sequel via a teaser trailer on the pa- on the YouTube page. A release date for the game has been officially pe- uh, marked for November 10th, which was the rumored release date for the game. Sledgehammer Games, the studio behind 2017's Modern or sorry, not Modern Warfare, World War II, and 2014's Advanced Warfare, as, as well as 2021's much maligned uh, Vanguard. 
tweeted the teaser trailer this past Monday, seemingly confirming reports of the game's development this year. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is, is going to be a continuation of last year's Modern Warfare 2. Activision have also detailed how players will be able to carry out most of their collected Modern Warfare 2 content into Modern Warfare 3, a feature that's never been used before in a Call of Duty game. It's a complete first for the, for the series, so... In a blog post on the, for the game, explaining the details of how content will be carried over, they claim the following, quote, For the first time ever in Call of Duty history, a vast amount of content from previous Modern Warfare game, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, will transfer or carry forward and be available to play in Modern Warfare, future Modern Warfare titles, or this future Modern Warfare title. According to the article, most of the content uh, currently available to players in MW2 and current versions of Warzone will be accessible in MW3. This includes weapons of... Co uh, Weapons and cosmetic content, including bundles, operators, and other rewards and unlocks for the game. Exceptions will include content relating to game features that may not be available in, in Modern Warfare 3. For example, if Modern Warfare 3 doesn't have a tactical amphibious vehicle or a specific piece of tactical or lethal equipment in any game mode, any skins you've unlocked for these items in Modern Warfare 2 might not be in Modern Warfare 3, because if the vehicle or weapon isn't in the game, why would the skin or whatever be available? However, they also note, however, all operators and operator skins uh, that players have unlocked in Modern Warfare 2 will carry over into Modern Warfare 3. This includes content that is no longer, that, sorry, that is, that is no longer available to purchase or is only available for a limited time during like seasonal content or whatever, though new players won't be able to access these. I assume that means if you bought, you know, if you bought the fucking, I don't know, if you bought the Hey Arnold football skin during Hey Arnold football season four of Modern Warfare 2, you'll be able to use it in Modern Warfare 3, but that doesn't mean people who didn't buy the skin will just suddenly be able to, to purchase it. So basically, they're carrying shit over the way, like, Counter-Strike carries stuff over. All weapons and blueprints will also carry over with all attachments and weapon camos. Some Modern Warfare 2 attachments will also work on Modern Warfare 3 weapons. Also carrying over are weapon charms, weapon stickers, emblems, loading screens, calling cards, vehicle skins. As long as they're for the vehicle that's still in the game, they will be available. Back in February, Bloomberg claimed that Activision had originally planned to release a major Modern Warfare 2 expansion this year, but the DLC eventually morphed into a full-blown sequel. So that is why we are... Within one year, looking at Modern Warfare 3. And so, really, the only thing I have to say about Modern Warfare 3 still is... I know the Call of Duty community is insufferable, and they got all these, these wishes and hopes and aspirations. I'm pretty simple. I'm pretty easy to please. I'm I, I'm sitting here with, with one... I'm sitting here with one wish. Which is that the campaign for this game is a direct sequel to Modern Warfare 2 from last year. And is developed from start to finish by Infinity Ward. Because... I don't understand how you gave the B team the direct sequel to or the or the third entry of your trilogy. That just makes no sense. Although I think there's a good chance this game is setting up for Modern Warfare to continue beyond Modern Warfare 3 rather than being like the old series and being a trilogy of Modern Warfare games. I can see very much this game is not the end of the of the story and that they do a Modern Warfare 4 and 5 and 6 and so on. So I'm, I'm expecting something like that. They're trying to build Modern Warfare to be like Black Ops where it can just kind of go on in perpetuity. So that's this is probably not the end of the story, but... You know, it, it, there is something to be said. Like, even if they are going to go on to do a Modern Warfare 4 or 5 or whatever, there is still something to be said about the these first three entries because they, in a lot of ways, mirror the kind of, or echo the original Modern Warfare trilogy, even if the story isn't beat for beat the same and things have been changed and not all the same. Really, really, they're not, these, these the new Modern Warfare games are really aren't even related to the old Modern Warfare games. It's a lot of names and characters and ideas, but it's a totally new story and a new universe they've built out here, so... 
I, 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 I foresee them trying to continue on these Modern Warfare games um, at, even after Modern Warfare 3, but I don't know. It's just, it rubs me the wrong way that Infinity Ward was the head team of Modern Warfare 2019. They made the multiplayer, they made the campaign, and of course they had support from Sledgehammer and Raven and Toys for Bob and all the other teams that work on Call of Duty, of course. But they made that game for the most part. They were the primary studio. And then last year with Modern Warfare 2022, same thing. They were the primary studio that made the campaign, the multiplayer, the Warzone element, all that stuff. But then, of course, they had support from all the other Call of Duty developers. But then what? The, the, the next entry in the series is just completely made by Sledgehammer with support from everyone else, of course. But it's just no longer... Inf- again, it's just so, it's so weird. It's like if, you know, again, it's like... You got the fucking Star Wars guys made episode, uh, made a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and then for and then for um, Return of the Jedi, you just fucking go, ah, okay, Steven Spielberg, you you did a good job working with George Lucas on Raiders of the Lost Ark. How would you like to make the third Star Wars movie? Fuck, fuck these guys who've been working on a Star Wars movie. We're just gonna we're just gonna get you. Why not? You want to just go work on this this final entry in Star Wars? It, to me, that's just weird. It's like I feel like you need to have Infinity Ward make this game, or at least it's campaign. That's what I'm hoping, um, is that it's like, you know, Sledgehammer is spearheading the multiplayer component and all that, but the campaign is Infinity Ward. It just it just seems weird to me that you would make two games and then you make a sequel to it, and you're just like, eh, you guys do it. You guys tell the rest of our story. It's just, I don't know, it's weird. So that's my one hope. I do think it is really cool to stay on topic here, though, that they're carrying things forward. Again, I understand a lot of the frustration from the Call of Duty community. It's like, fuck you guys. You said, you know, the rumors, the leaks were suggesting that this was going to be a major DLC and that there wasn't going to be a proper Call of Duty this year. And I was genuinely among the group of people very excited about that. And and to be fair, Activision never confirmed that that's what's happening. That's just what leaks and rumors suggested. And of course, you know, Call of Duty's it's like iPhone or fucking a new Samsung phone. It's impossible to keep a, a, a lid on these because they're these things because there's just so many people working on it all over the world across so many different, you know, so many things being wires being crossed and things like that. You can't keep these things under wraps. So if there's a if there's a a, a notable rumor or leak about Call of Duty, 99% chance that it's it's true like every time. So it's like, yeah, that was the plan was that it would be a big expansion for Modern Warfare 2 and this year we wouldn't get a new Call of Duty. We would just get a huge expansion for the game that came out last year. And I was very much excited about that, very much looking forward to it. This is basically their way of saying like Listen, we make way too much money every year on Call of Duty. Why would we take our chances not getting that big $70 hit per copy by trying to sell everyone an expansion that may or may not bode well with our fans when we could just make a brand new game, sell it to people, and have it basically be that big expansion, but you know, just flush it out a little more to kind of justify the $70 price tag. I get Activision's reason for doing that. As From a business standpoint, it makes total and complete sense. I, I, I totally get it. I just hope that this doesn't end up feeling like some weird thing where it's like Modern Warfare 2019 was pretty good, then Modern Warfare 2022 was even better, and then a year later Modern Warfare 3 came out and sucked ass because a totally different team made it, it didn't feel the same, didn't feel right, the campaign was complete mess, it didn't feel like a proper continuation of the last game. Although I would argue that Modern Warfare 2 in a lot of ways kind of isn't a proper sequel to Modern Warfare 2019 like it's supposed to be, Um, but that being said, I Modern Warfare 2, I know this is a controversial take because Call of Duty fans always hate the current Call of Duty and then a year or two later go back and pretend they love it. But Modern Warfare 2, this game that came out nine, ten months ago, um, 
is actually great. I think it's, it's it truly is one of the great Call of Duties in recent history. Uh, I, I think between this game and between Black Ops Cold War, it's like Call of Duty's the best it's ever been since, or or it's the best it has been since the old glory days of like the old Modern Warfare games and the old Black Ops games and things like that. So I don't know. I I love Modern Warfare too. I still play it like all the fucking time. I'm I'm enjoying it like crazy. I think it's a really good game. Uh, I don't know why people are constantly bitching and moaning about Call of Duty. I, I guess I'm not nuanced enough of a fan to really understand why it sucks. Or I guess I mean these people are complaining about nonsense all the time, but like. The campaign for Modern Warfare 2 was so fucking badass. It's so fun. And the multiplayer is a, a ton of fun. It's not the best Call of Duty. I have some complaints about it, but it's pretty good. The maps are pretty pretty okay. I don't really like the DLC maps all that much. I think the gameplay feels a little slow, and sometimes I don't like how tactical the game can feel, where like I feel like there needs to be more action. Maybe the maps need, need to be a little more smaller, and the design needs to encourage players to run around a little more. But for the most part, I feel like this is one of the stronger recent entries in the Call of Duty series. The campaign especially was just absolutely fucking bonkers cool. Um, and those and those raids they were doing throughout this, the first four seasons of this game were also fucking cool. So I don't, I don't get the hate. I'm excited for this game. I'll definitely be there day one to play it. But I, I got to be honest, I'm apprehensive about it because... I'm still so high on Modern Warfare 2 from last year. I just think they did such a great game with that game. The, the post-launch support, I understand some of the criticism. I think the post-launch support for Modern Warfare 2 has been a little weak. But the base game, everything we got on launch day last year, was so strong and so compelling and so good. And I'm still so high on what a great game that was at launch that I'm apprehensive because Sledgehammer, in my opinion, is by far the worst Call of Duty developer and in my opinion, they have never made a good Call of Duty game because I think Advanced Warfare, their first Call of Duty they made on their own, was, I think, boring. The campaign was, like, mildly fun and everything else was boring. I thought Call of Duty World War II was eye-wateringly boring. Like, there wasn't a single redeeming thing about that game other than maybe just I appreciate them trying to do World War II well, although they didn't. That game was not good. And then um, Call of Duty Vanguard a few years ago, that game was weirdly fun. I'll give them that. The, the multiplayer was like kind of the most broken call of duty multiplayer I ever played just in, ter in terms of it, just like having no logic or sense behind it. But it was very fun. I got to give them credit where credit's due. They, I, I think they actually kind of knocked it out of the park with that game's multiplayer, but the campaign was asked. The zombies were asked like sledgehammer are by far the worst call of duty developer. In my opinion, they've never made a call of duty game that I could stand behind and truly say is great. And like, I, I understand call of duty's had its ups and downs. You can, rag on on infinity ward all you want because you didn't like the original modern warfare 3 or you didn't like call of duty ghosts or infinite warfare whatever we don't have to get into that you can rag on Treyarch because black ops 3 sucks or black ops 4 sucks whatever you think we don't have to get into that that's fine but there's no denying that infinity ward killed it with like the original world at war and old black ops and black ops 2 and the original infinity ward like modern warfare 1 and 2 back in 20 2007 and 2009 like those games are all fucking legendary like those are games from the xbox 360 era that like stand toe-to-toe -to -toe in terms of like in terms of just being so so fucking iconic and so like well represent the era from which they come from in the same vein of games like halo 3 mass effect bioshock um all these big xbox 360 games that we look you know fucking oblivion and things like that like these games that we look back to in the 360 years and go remember dead space oh fucking remember remember the xbox 360 days gears of war 2 like those were the fucking days like 
I, I know it's like we're all tired of Call of Duty because it, 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 unlike those other franchises, it didn't go away. It just kept staying and staying and staying. And that's, a, again, a different conversation to have a different day about whether or not that drove you nuts or you hate the franchise because of it or whatever the case may be. But I don't know. Like, uh, there's no denying Treyarch's made some fucking great Call of Duty games. Infinity Ward's made some fucking great Call of Duty games. Sledgehammer, in my opinion, for my money, have never made a good Call of Duty game. They have made games that range from, I respect what you were trying to do here, but it wasn't for me, to straight up dog trash, to this is kind of like fun on a guilty pleasure level, but not a very good game. Like That's like the kind of the gamut they've run with their, with their attempts at Call of Duty, and I just... I don't love the idea of them directly following up this Modern Warfare 2 from 10 months ago that was such a good game, in my opinion. And um, I don't know. It's awesome that they're going to at least, you know, have that, you know, they know. The word was out. Everyone was like, what the fuck? We, we thought this game was going to get DLC. And now you're just going to replace it with a new game. And how? And also, how are you going to do a Modern Warfare 3 a year after you did Modern Warfare 2? That's never been done. You know, usually you rotate teams, right? It's like, new modern warfare game then you get a black ops game or whatever and then you get a modern warfare game there's usually a year or two break in between uh but with this it's like you're just literally jumping from modern warfare 2 straight to modern warfare 3 you gotta have so i think they're doing right by the player base by being like listen we're gonna basically still honor and treat it like it's that dlc by way of letting you import all your progress and all your things into this new game although the thing I'm guessing doesn't carry over is your player rank and your prestige. I'm guessing when you play Modern Warfare 3, sure, your guns and the skins and the things, upgrades, and all the camos and everything you have for Modern Warfare 2 will go into Modern Warfare 3. That's great. But what about your rank? You know, if I'm level like 175 or something like that in Modern Warfare 2. So, like, when I play Modern Warfare 3, I'm just going to go straight back to rank 0? Level 0 and I have to level up again? Like... I mean, that's that's still fun. Like, the fun of Call of Duty is getting, especially, like, those first 60, 70 levels. Like, that is kind of, like, the most fun part of Call of Duty, I guess. So, like, I'm not I'm not crestfallen about that, but it's, like, that's not probably going to carry over. I assume you're going to reset everyone back to rank one, and we're going to have to grind our way back up. That sucks. I play this game regularly, and I see people who are level, like, 473, 512, and it's, like, those guys are going to be just reset to rank one now. They're going to get to carry all over over all their skins, all their guns, all their upgrades, all their attachments, but the rank's going to be set back to one probably. That's that's what I'm assuming based on the the, the lack of acknowledgement. So anyway, uh, on August 17th, they're going to have an in-game Warzone event to to properly reveal the game, and that's when we'll see probably like gameplay trailer, and we'll get an announcement that will be like, play the beta only on PlayStation from October 12th to October 14th. Fuck you, Xbox, middle finger, Jim Ryan's awesome, Phil Spencer sucks. And then they'll be like, then the next weekend you can play the beta on PC and Xbox. Go wild. Because um, re remember, even though Microsoft's in the process of buying Activision, they still have to honor this marketing deal PlayStation has with Activision until it's run its course. So we got another year or two, I believe, before that happens. So even though by the time this game is coming out November 10th, we'll pretty much be at the point where Microsoft officially owns Activision, um, or it should be at that point by that by then. This game's not going to get treated as an Xbox game. It's going to be very much treated as a third-party uh, as a third-party multi-platform game with a PlayStation marketing deal. So don't expect this Call of Duty to get any kind of like we're Xbox now kind of treatment. This is that's not going to happen with this game at all. Maybe next year we start to see a little bit of that, but I don't even think next year we see that. It's probably 2025 
uh, before we really see anything happen there. So that's it for all of our news this week, you guys. Well, we do have the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions. So we can get into those real quick. Uh, first up, a remaster of Quake 2 will be announced at QuakeCom. It's been claimed, according to reliable leaker Bill Bilkin, uh, who claims that the game was uh, first noticed earlier in the year as part of a ratings board listing uh, to be officially revealed during QuakeCon, which is happening soon. According to the report, it's not clear if the game will be subtitled, remastered, or enhanced, but the listing has been shown referring to both names. Uh, now, a Quake Enhanced Edition was released in 2021, so it's possible the game will follow the same naming convention. The game will reportedly be released on Xbox, PC, uh, and by Xbox, I do mean both series consoles as well as Xbox One. Um, and it, this is going to be different from the Quake RTX Enhanced Ray Tracing Enabled version that was released by NVIDIA in 2019. This is a different um, remaster, so keep that in mind. Pretty cool. Next up, a teaser for a new Lego Harry Potter game has been spotted on Instagram. Images, which were sent to VGC but won't be posted online for copyright reasons, were reportedly appeared on WB South Africa's Instagram page before being swiftly deleted. The image, which uh, was shown online and can be still found online, shows a Lego minifigure of Harry Potter with the date August 25th, 2023. The image includes a logo for TT Games, the company that makes the Lego video games. If legitimate, this could be the first confirmation of a long-rumored Harry Potter game um, in the same vein as Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, where it will cover the entirety of the series. So Harry Potter's one through seven. When asked in person, sorry, when asked a person with knowledge on the project confirmed that it was still in development, but couldn't confirm if the advertisement was legitimate. Now, I don't know if that 8-25-23 is supposed to be like a, an announcement date or maybe an original internal date for when the game would release, and then it never ended up even getting announced or something. I have no clue because that date is so imminent. That's in just a couple of weeks here. Uh, I will be in the middle of the ocean on a cruise ship on that date, so I will not be able to find out that day what's happening because I will not have internet access. Cannot wait to not have internet access uh, for a few days. But anyway, uh, I don't know why I said that. But regardless, I don't feel like we're going to see this on August 25th. That'd be a weird time to just announce something like this in the random on a random late August day when all these other games are kind of in the process of coming out or just about to be coming out. I feel like this is a game we wouldn't see announced until, oh, you know what? When's Gamescom? It could be Gamescom. Well, isn't Gamescom sooner? Yeah. Oh, that date lines up with Gamescom. So absolutely, this game could be announced during that time. I'm stupid. I'm idiot. I'm moron face. That could be Gamescom. Although I was going to say, maybe not to the Game Awards in December would we see something like this announced. But yeah, maybe this is going to be revealed during Gamescom. Regardless of the fact, this is definitely happening. It's just a matter of when we when we learn about it for real. But yeah, I would I would I would bet on that. Next up, Wizards of the Coast have announced an expansion for for Magic the Gathering based on Fallout, one on Assassin's Creed, and one on Final Fantasy. They're all coming to Magic the Gathering. The sets, which we'll start releasing next year in 2024, are part of the Magic the Gathering Universe Beyond Expansion, which will see 30-year-old trading card game partner with other brands, uh, notably in the year. Uh, most notably, brands like Lord of the Rings and Doctor Who, blah, blah, blah. No one cares. The Fallout expansion will come in Q1 of next year, so be on the lookout for a Fallout expansion coming to Magic the Gathering. That makes me sick just thinking about it. Okay, we got the one only story from Windows Central here. It says, during the final matches of 2023's Street Fighter VI EVO tournament, Capcom made the announcement that on August 8th, which is already come and gone, uh, there will be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles collaboration added to Street Fighter VI. The cross crossover will feature the Ninja Turtle, uh, Turtles as costume characters for avatars to wear online in the Battle Hub and in single-player world tournament mode. Uh, there will also be TMNT-inspired player avatar accessories, emotes, stamps, and in-game wallpapers, and photo mode for the camera features. So, TMNT coming to uh, Street Fighter VI. I saw that movie last weekend at the theater. It was actually really, really good. It was one of the last movies I watched before my 
AMC Stubbs membership expires. So I'm glad I saw it. It was actually a really cute movie. Highly recommend. Uh, and lastly, Yuka Kitamura, the composer who worked on Elden Ring, Bloodborne, and From Software Games, has announced she's leaving the company. Kitamura confirmed her departure on Twitter, writing, quote, Today I have an announcement to make. I've decided to leave From Software, the company I've worked for, and to start uh, and to start working as a freelance composer beginning in August. Kitamura joined From Software in 2013, starting as a, as a stint at the company by working on Armored Core Verdict Day. She would then go on to do Dark Souls 2, Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, and Elden Ring, of course. It's unclear if she provided music for From Software's upcoming Armored Core 6, which comes out imminently, but... Wishing her all the best. Hopefully you have a uh, great success out there freelancing. Good for you. Um, all right, guys, that is going to do it for all of our news this week. We do have one more segment to go through, and it is my favorite segment, the segment that makes me breathe the oxygen that gives me the life to be stupid, which is the comments, the shout-outs, the questions, the concerns, which you know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash xboxonpodcast every single week or at xboxonpodcast at youtube.com. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and drop a comment in the comment section at the bottom. You can say anything your heart desires. You can say, Jesse, Disney Cruise Line is for babies, but you're going to go on a Disney cruise. You should go on a Royal Caribbean cruise. And I'll say, I I booked and paid for this cruise a year ago, bitch. I've been looking forward to it. It's the only thing I have to live for right now. I cannot wait. Please don't take this away from me. And, and then you can say, well, you should go on a Royal Caribbean cruise because it's where adults go on cruises. They get the drink package and you can get unlimited drinks. And I would say... I don't drink unlimited drinks because that's too many drinks for someone like me. I couldn't even fathom the very thought of having that many drinks just makes me so stressed out. So I'm not even going to drink unlimited drinks. That wouldn't even be a good value for me. And then we can continue to argue and argue. And then someone might butt in and say, um, hey, random commenter. Um, hey, Jesse, um, we're arguing about drink packages on cruise ships. But this is actually an Xbox podcast hosted by one host about French toast. And I think we should get back on topic. And I'll say, I'm so sorry. I got distracted again. Let's talk about Trader Joe's. So our first comment comes from another than Mr. Wes H who comes in and says, Trader Joe's has ridiculously good Asian food. It makes no sense. Albeit they have decently priced flowers. Assuming your girlfriend is into that. Give me all the oblivion remakes played it nonstop back on the Xbox 360. Although for me, the idea of replaying an old game is usually better than the actual experience. In 2011, I actually didn't think Skyrim was going to be nearly as good as ES4 Elder Scrolls 4 when it was initially released. LOL. I actually uh, agree with that notion. First of all, shout out to Trader Joe's. Yes, I don't know why their Asian food is so good, but yeah, shout out to their dumplings. Fuck. Ah, they have the Korean shortbread there. It's so good. Why? Anyway, yeah, man, I, I would say I, I feel like I do. I relate to that a lot where it's like if I generally if, if I try to go back and play a game I think of fondly with rare exception I'm usually like I love this game I love my memories with this game but I'm 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 good I can move on but generally I, I also find that like I enjoy games a lot if I never played them but then I go back to play them like like right now I'm playing Homefront the Revolution which was an Xbox one game from seven years ago never played it and I'm enjoying it a lot right now because I never played it, always wanted to play it, always was curious about it, good time. But I could see like a world where it's like, oh, I played this game seven years ago. I remember loving this game. Let me go back and play it. And then I play it. I'm like, meh, I'm, I, I remember this fondly and I appreciate my memories and the experience I had, but I don't need to do this again. I'm good to move on, you know? Um, I know that's how I think about games like, like Dying Light. Like I haven't played Dying Light 2 yet, but like Dying Light 1, I loved that game. But I, I can tell that's a game where like if I had to go back and play it again, I'd be like, Nah, I'm I'm good. I really liked this game the first time around, but I don't need to experience this again. I so I totally get that feeling. Um, well, Xbox 360 games, there's a lot of exceptions there, like Sonic Unleashed, Halo Three, 
these are the kinds of games you can go back and enjoy again and again. But I do appreciate that sentiment because I, I, I do feel that. And sometimes sometimes it kind of breaks you because it's like you, you tell yourself like Elder Scrolls 4 was so much better than Elder Scrolls 5. And then you go back and you play Elder Scrolls 4 and you're like, I like this game better than the game that came after it, but I'd rather go back and play the more recent game for some reason. And it's like it kind of breaks you. Like, you prefer one that you'd rather not play. I feel that way with Call of Duty. Like, my favorite Call of Duty is World at War. But if I had to go back and play an old Call of Duty, I'm going to go play Black Ops 2. It's just, it's weird like that. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for writing in. Hope you have a wonderful day. Sam Frito wrote in and says, When the world finds out Trader Joe's secret identity is Aldi, long gasp, all Trader Joe's mortal enemies, the infamous food lion, and his sidekick Piggly Wiggly included will storm the Joe, Ca Joe Cave and force Joe's all-knowing butler, Guy, Guy Fred, uh, to spill the recipe for spinach and tofu samosas. Amazing how the Germans understand chalkboards with decent rendered pictures of gourmet food trick us into feeling better about the shit we swallow. That TJ Winter Park uh, parking lot is, a no, is no joke. When the blinker is mightier than the SUV. <laughs> God, I love you, Sam. Um, <clears throat> well worded, too. I've never been to a food line. I actually don't know where they're located. I've never been to a food line. I just know of it. Piggly Wiggly, we don't have those in Florida. I don't think, at least. I, I've never been to a Piggly Wiggly. Although we did have one in Atlanta. It was like it was like somewhere in like East Atlanta, there is like one Piggly Wiggly. It's the weirdest fucking thing. There's just one Piggly Wiggly. And I remember, like, I always wanted to go to it, but it was, like, the side of town where it's, like, you really shouldn't be here. Like, there's no reason for you to be here. So I never went to it, but I always wanted to. I've driven past it a few times. I was always curious because the only other reason I knew about Piggly Wiggly is because they mentioned it in that 70s show. And when I was, like, in middle school, I'd watch that 70s show and be like, hmm, I, I want to go to Piggly Wiggly. That must be a, a funny grocery store they had in the 70s. But, nope, they still exist. Just never been to one. But yeah, I love this. Well, well written, as always. A beautiful written work of art. I've never tried their spinach and tofu samosas, but now I want to try those. But yes, the Germans are are quite crazy. And that is an important thing to, to mention. Trader Joe's and Aldi, they are a German owned they're German owned I guess they're German owned companies, they're German owned food brand, whatever. Um which makes me a little bit uh, uneasy about, you know, the meat quality. Am I eating am I eating the meat of of uh i don't know germans do all kinds of atrocities i don't know who they who they've killed and packaged as chicken thighs so I, I i worry about that but also shout out to the germans because i love aldi and i love trader joe's so i've never i've never been to the winter park trader joe's by the way uh yeah i, I don't even want to bother winter park is such a beautiful mess i love it up there i wish i could I wish I could afford to be in Winter Park. I can't. I feel like Winter Park has become such an expensive part of uh, uh, neighborhood of Orlando that like I can't even afford. I can't even afford to look at Winter Park. Like if I look at Winter Park, I'm like ah, that's like that's like the old money part of Orlando. I, I love it up there though. It's the, it's probably my favorite neighborhood in all of Orlando. Um, yeah, shout out to Winter Park. But yeah, the uh, the Dr. Phillips one is 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 also absolute trash, but they have valet parking for some freaking reason, which is comical. Imagine valet parking to go grocery shopping. Anyway, Cronky writes in and says, "You always know, sorry, you always talk down on games with gold, but we're losing something more important with the move to Game Pass Core. Deals with gold was always something awesome. Uh, oh, sorry, deals with gold were always awesome, and 
now that they have a uh, now that they have the quarry deluxe edition for like 20 bucks and chrono cross for ten dollars rip deals with gold you burn too brightly for this world now i replied i'm pretty sure deals with gold lives on they're just changing the name to deals with game pass but deals with gold is nowhere it's not going anywhere it's just games with gold that's going away so the discounts that come with with gold like the oh gold members this week and get this game for 20 bucks like that stuff's staying it's just gonna be for game pass subscribers so um but the reason i read that comment is because sam frito who we just read a comment from is now commenting on this comment because he he cannot be stopped he's a force to be reckoned with and i don't want to reckon with him man i just want to i want to let him do his thing i want to i want to sit on the sidelines and watch him eat a tofu and spinach samosa that's all there is to it and he says Cronky, i agree with you which is not saying games of gold was great till the end but i look at my more than 60 games i have accrued being a subscriber some games i never expected to like and some i believe make me a xbox for life as phil dog respectfully some games i have yet to come i've yet to come to appreciate like hoa hoa or i lamentum but then i get guaranteed hits like colt canyon and division one add a couple heaps of shantae and the telltale batman games and i have to say cronky it's isn't stirring up nothing but wake up juice it's stirring nothing but wake up juice but again, deals with Game Pass is going to stay, so we still got that. But I would argue it is more important for entry-level Game Pass subscribers to have a robust catalog of 20 or 25 really excellent Game Pass games, even if most Xbox diehard fans have played those games. Because that's not this tier isn't for you, this is for more casuals. And that's more important than being able to accrue a much larger library of 50, 60, 70, 100 games over time. But 99% of them are like shovelware. I understand. There have been good months with Games of Gold and things like that. But I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if I could be convinced that the direction they're headed in isn't better. Even though I'm desperately going to miss that Xbox Live branding. Because not having that makes me feel like a very old person. The fact that I will one day be able to go like, oh, um, why don't you uh, get on Xbox Live uh, and we can play that new Halo Halo 12 together. And then my grandkid will be like, Grandpa, what's Xbox Live? And then my other grandkid will be like, Xbox Live is what they used to call the Xbox Network. And I'll be like, oh my God, I'm so old. And they'll be like, Grandpa, it's not 2025 anymore. Stop talking about Xbox Live. We call it the Xbox Network, you scrub. Except they'll have a new word for scrub that some new social media that has supplanted TikTok will tell them is a cool thing to say. And they'll call me that. And then I won't know what it is. And I'll be too ashamed to ask. I don't know what that word is. And then I'll be embarrassed and I'll cry. And I'll be like, I miss Xbox Live. And my old dusty copy of Sonic Unleashed will stare at me. And I'll stare at it. And I'll think about how the E10 rating has gone straight out the door because kids are so PG-13 these days that they might as well start it at T for teen. I feel like an old man. I don't know what else to say. I feel like an old man. Headhunting Halo, take us away. Uh, although not really, because we got a few more comments after this. But you're up next, and you say, Breaking news! Game Fuel is coming back in November. And it's Halo Infinite artwork. Woohoo! This time, I will be buying both flavors and not opening them. As far as Oblivion goes, I'll take anything... Um, as far as Oblivion goes, I'll take anything Elder Scrolls. What a good day it is. The flavors are Citrus Cherry and Mystic Punch, by the way. Amen, brother. Always buy a 12-pack. Take sort through your 12 pack, find the nicest looking can and save that nice can aside. That one goes in your collection. Everyone who knows Mountain Dew knows when you buy a new flavor of Mountain Dew, you get a 12 pack, but you can only drink 11 because one of them goes to the collection 
and 11 of them go in your refrigerator. That's how it works. What's up, baby? But yeah, dude, I'm excited. I'm very excited about this. Um, Halo Infinite branded um, Gamer Fuel. I, I try not to drink regular soda anymore. I try to drink no soda, or if I drink soda, have zero sugar variants. But I don't fucking care about my health. Give me all the blood pressure and diabetes you fucking have. If we're talking about Citrus Cherry Game Fuel, the, the original game fuel flavor the best game fuel flavor one of the best mountain dew flavors of all time i don't give a shit if you slap master chief's face on a can of, of mountain dew game fuel i swear guys it's it's like saying uh, jesse you hear that you hear you hear that it's the all-american rejects they're on the radio again wake up hollister's popular again frayed jeans are back in style baby it's 2007 halo is on the xbox and people don't hate it PlayStation is for dumb people with small brains, very low cell count, and Mountain Dew's got Master Chief's face on it again, and I'm back, baby, so I'm all for it. I can't wait. I'm going to drink so much of this shit. I'm going to put one in my collection. I have the Halo 3 game fuel. I have the Halo 4 game fuel. What the fuck makes you think I won't get Halo Infinite game fuel? I love this. I'm so excited about it. Thank you for writing in Head Hunting Halo. And also, God bless you. God damn God bless you. Timothy Reeser writes in and says, It kills me every time you dump on co-op. It's almost my number one decision point when buying a new game that has multiplayer. I get that it's not important to many people, but I wonder if I'm the minor if the minor sorry, if the minority of us, if I'm in the minority of us that like it, and if it's really that small. Maybe the increased interest in cloud gaming will lead to more co-op games since the frustration with split screen and the cost of multi multiple consoles slash TVs will be a non-issue. Then again, the desire to kill and teabag your friends may be too strong, and most multiplayer games will continue to be PvP only. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, it just it just seems like what's happened as online gaming has become so dominant that it's become a very pretty cut and dry split where it's like most gamers either want to experience like a cinematic or narrative driven or just not even if it's cinematic or ne necessarily just like a a very single player isolated one player type experience on their own as a kind of way to like shut out the outside world and just kind of decompress and game on your own or you get the other side of the coin where it's like people want to engage in multiplayer and have competitive and cooperative multiplayer scenarios where they work towards objectives and things like that online whether it's like cooperative in a way of like a dead by daylight kind of game or if it's like a competitive way of like a first person shooter team deathmatch type game or Fortnite or some shit like that where it just seems like the overwhelming majority of players have fallen into one of these two camps and there's just very little room left in the middle for co-op that's not to say co-op is dead I mean you think about a game like it takes two that came out like two years ago was it was it one year ago it's two years ago where that game was like winning game of the year awards and everyone who played it was like bro don't sleep on it takes two this game's amazing and that game is only a co-op game it has to be experienced with another person and people who play it absolutely adore that game in fact that game is on my backlog to-do list and and I, I would very much like to experience it so listen man i grew up in a family with a lot of fucking kids i have a lot of siblings and i didn't have a lot of friends in those earlier years of my childhood because i came from a homeschooled family thank god i didn't go to homeschool thank god i was public school like a normal person and that's why i'm a little less weird than my siblings but the reason i bring that up is just to say listen man i grew up in a household where playing couch co-op and playing multiplayer with my siblings and things like that was absolutely indelible and then when i got a little older and started socializing more and making friends at school and church and things like that like 
I ab dude, don't get me wrong. I, I absolutely remember that. I remember my best buddy from church coming over to my house and going out to Blockbuster and renting like Star Fox Command for Nintendo GameCube. And it was just like, fuck yeah, man, we're gonna play Star Fox Command together all night long. And then you'd even make you'd even make single player games co-op. Like who from my generation doesn't recall the late nights spent with friends playing Grand Theft Auto 3 or Grand Theft Auto San Andreas just all night long, just like fucking cheat codes, cheat codes, cheat codes. You get the fucking rocket launcher, shoot a cop, take a helicopter up to the top of the building, get your jetpack, jump, or yeah, your jetpack or your parachute or whatever, jump down, fucking whatever, because you can, because this game lets you do that shit. And like, you know, you take turns passing the controller because it was just so much fun. And, and I recall, like, the value and the unique and really memorable experience of, like, being able to do those things with friends. Like, don't get me wrong. I have very fond memories of, like, playing games with my with my brothers at home, like, split screen. Like, playing Super Smash Bros. on the N64 with my brothers. Like, I remember that shit very well. Like, don't get me wrong. I remember, you know, going over to friends' houses and playing GTA and passing the controller back and forth. Like, I remember all this shit very, very well. And I remember it fondly. But the thing is, as a 28-year-old adult who lives with my girlfriend and my cat in our one-bedroom apartment, and I have a very, very low social battery these days, the the very thought of someone coming into my living space or me going out of my way to go to someone else's living space to then play cooperatively is the most frustrating and stressful situation. Like, my, my girlfriend, she, she games. My girlfriend games a fair amount. But we don't play a whole lot of games together. But one game my girlfriend loves to play together is Call of Duty Zombies. She loves Nazi Zombies. So if I'm playing Zombies, she'll be like, ooh, I want to play. And it's like such a frustrating situation because I love my girlfriend. I want to spend time with her. I love to play a video game with her. But I don't want there to be a fucking split across my TV screen. I don't want to have a 65-inch TV where I'm getting a fraction of that screen real estate. It drives me bonkers it makes me go I, I listen I don't know how the fuck I did it when I was like 10 years old doing split screen on a 10 inch um CRT TV with my brothers like I don't know how we did that that drives me nuts as a 28 year old listen I'm too pampered and entitled at this point in my adult life to be able to like go back and experience that shit I'm like, like I, I told I told my girlfriend like when the house is done like and we get like things settled and you know we can make make financial sense to do this like we gotta have like a TV in the living room and a TV in the loft. Both will be set up with Xboxes. Both will have separate Xbox Live or sorry, there I go being a boomer again. Xbox Game Pass subscriptions, and we will both play cooperatively. So like you play Call of Duty in the loft, I play Call of Duty in the living room. We join an Xbox party and we play co-op that way because I I can't do that split screen shit. If I gotta split my screen in half, I'm gonna go fucking berserk. Berserk. I I don't know how to say it. Like it's just gonna be. It's going to be a bad, it's, it's, a, it's a bad time. So I don't know what it is, man. Like I have so much respect for it. I get the nostalgia and I get why people enjoy it. And I'm not saying like, it's just purely a nostalgic experience that shouldn't be enjoyed anymore. Like I get why people would still want that. Like I, Hey, I remember playing Halo with my buddies. I remember the weekend Halo three came out. One of my great memories is the day after Halo three came out. It was like a, it was like a Saturday night. It was one of my best friend's birthdays and he had a huge birthday party and like all the fucking kids from like our, our sixth grade class or whatever came over to his house that night for sleepover. And we spent the entire fucking night, literally from like 6 PM until like five in the morning, eating pizza, playing halo three, co like just a split screen multiplayer and just 
having the time of our lives. And like, I, I listen, I, that, that, that day was like 15 plus years ago. And I still think of that super fondly. Like it was yesterday. I'm like, God damn, that's the power of like sitting next to someone and playing co-op together. Like that couch co-op experience, even if it, or even if it is P uh, well, that's PVP, right? That's not co-op. Right. But that couch multiplayer experience, like with the, with the TV side by side or the sharing of a TV, like, I get that. Like I, I'll, I'll never have an experience like that again. There's a part of me that's like deeply sad that that's over. That's just that's just a time and a place that you can't go back to. It happened, came, it went, and now it's now it's over. You can only look back on it and remember it. You can't experience it again. Like that sucks. But at the same time, I know the next time a Halo game comes out, I don't want anyone coming near me and playing split screen multiplayer with me. Fuck that. I'm going online. And I'm gonna shoot some random guy in fucking Nebraska in the face i'm gonna get a killing spree and that's that like i don't need to know that guy i don't need to talk to that guy i'm good just let me just let me sit on the couch eat my cheetos puffs not crunchy and that's all i need okay but uh no i mean i i, I get it and i appreciate it. i respect this comment and i respect this writing a lot and i think there is definitely still a place for co-op i don't think you're well i think probably technically you are in the minority on wanting this stuff to stick around forever um, because you got to think about like newer and newer generations of gamers are, are being brought up in this Fortnite world where like you don't do co you don't do couch co-op and things like that. Although sure enough, uh, maybe these kids do have some experience like through Minecraft. Cause that's, that's actually a, like a couch co-op thing. I will say the one exception to this, the one and only exception, and this is the only game that to this day and Hunter, if you're out there listening, um, you know what I'm talking about. The, the one and only, the one and only game I can I can still do like a couch co-op, so to speak, experience with, um, is like Guitar Hero or Rock Bands because that's not the same thing, you know. It's like everyone has their different music highway. It's not it's not like ah the screen real estate is destroyed because I have to play this game with other people. That's the rare example of like the game is actually less fun to play without having people immediately near you. But that's because playing playing Rock Band or Guitar Hero feels a lot more like being in a garage band than it feels like playing super smash bros or mario together or some crap like that you know so that's like the one exception to the rule but other than that man like i don't i don't i don't want to do it <laughs> maybe if you're playing like heads up or not heads up what's that one that people play the fucking party pack game where you can use your your phone as a controller i don't know whatever let's move on thank you for the ride in timothy hope you're having a great weekend and I, listen i hope co-op continues to stick around because I think people like you deserve to have, uh, to have that niche service. And who knows, maybe the Italians are coming up with a great co-op game just for you. So let's wrap up. We got two more comments here. Cronky real quick says, since final fantasy MMO is coming to Xbox with final fantasy 14, do you think world of Warcraft ever will? My only issue is that world of Warcraft really, really uses your whole number list on your keyboard for abilities. And I don't think that can be translated to console controllers, uh, very well, um, without a massive gameplay change. Uh, plain and simple, I don't. I don't think so. I think the only, the closest thing we ever get to World of Warcraft and Xbox after this Activision Blizzard deal goes through is that I wouldn't be surprised if it's like Game Pass subscribers get a discount on their World of Warcraft subscription for PC or not even that. If it's like Game Pass subscribers get special cosmetics or bonuses or XP events or whatever. Uh, for being subscribed to Game Pass and playing World of Warcraft. I could see things like that, but I don't think, which, you know, which is like a marketing way in which they can kind of toe the line between Xbox and World of Warcraft, but I don't ever see them taking World of Warcraft and putting it on Xbox. I think World of Warcraft 
would come to mobile phones way before it would ever come to Xbox. In fact, I'll, I'll go as far as to say, I think there is a chance that one day World of Warcraft might somehow end up on mobile phones. I feel like that's that's probably one of those things where Activision have looked at that game a million times over the past 10, 15 years and like gone pulling their hair out crazy saying, how can we get this thing on mobile? Because this thing needs to be on mobile. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's something Xbox tries to figure out. But console, no, I don't I don't I don't think we're getting World of Warcraft on console. I just plain and simple, I don't think so. Anyway, last comment of the week. Mike Clark writes in. He's got a long one here, so let's let's go into it. This is almost like a headhunting halo kind of comment. I love it. Awesome show. Tip of the hat for Win Dixie mention. Yeah, it's shout out to Win Dixie. <laughs> Nearest one's like 35 minutes from me, but uh yeah, shout out to Win Dixie. Reminds me of Ingles. And shout out to if you know what Ingles is. It's a very small chain of grocery stores. I think they're based out of North Carolina, but there's a couple of them still in Georgia. And uh, I like Ingles. It's like it's like kind of like it's like trashy Publix in a way. That's kind of what Win Dixie is too. So I have a weird like fondness for that. Where I would I wouldn't make it my primary grocery store, but I wouldn't be opposed to going there every once in a while. But last time I went to Win Dixie was like two years ago, and it was just out of curiosity. It was because. I hadn't been inside of one since I was five years old living in Mississippi for the nine months I lived in Mississippi. And I walked into to Winn-Dixie just to try and feel that nostalgia. And I was in like Lakeland, Florida. I was like, let's, let's see what a Winn-Dixie is like in 2021 or whatever year it was. And I was like, my God, this store is way more expensive than I thought it was. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's not. I just remember feeling like that one was expensive. But yeah, shout out to Win Dixie. Let's let's continue on. I'm all about emulation of older games that Sega uh, won't resell me. I still I still own my launch Sega Saturn, Sega CD, and Dreamcast systems. That's awesome. And still purchase um, games for these relics of the bygone era. I'd happily pay 60, 70 bucks for Jet Grind Radio, Panzer Dragoon Saga, Skies of Arcadia, etc., etc. On current hardware, pricey a piracy of games. That you can that can be purchased from platform holders is just theft. If you're okay with that, middle finger. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that's a really succinct and apt way of basically saying exactly what I was trying to say last week in the most ineloquent way. But yeah, well put, good point. And yes, dude, please for the love of Christ, didn't they actually? Didn't they make a? Am I wrong about this? Didn't they bring back Panzer Dragoon or something like that? The early Xbox One era or something? Am I crazy? Didn't that happen? But yeah, for love of God, especially especially Jet Grind Radio, just stop being a bitch. Bring it back. Stop being an absolute C-U-N, whatever the rest of the word is. Bring back Jet Grind Radio. Thank you, Sega. Uh, you said, Homefront is a fun game. Enjoy. Thank you. Have you tried Oblivion on series consoles? It's better now that it, than it was nearly 20 years ago. I haven't played uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion since 2007, 2008. So no. <laughs> but... I, if they do this remaster, I'd absolutely be interested in trying it. But yeah, you're right. I could probably just play the original game. I actually don't have access to that game anymore. I don't have that. My older brother had that. So I'd have to go buy a copy of that, although I'm sure it's not hard to get. I love the look of Persona games and enjoy many JRPGs, but for the life of me, I don't understand what the fuck is going on. Yeah, it was starting to lose me a little bit towards the end there as well before I gave up on it. Uh, Square Enix should put Octopath 2 on Xbox. It's a fantastic game that doesn't require $15 a month a subscription to play. Uh, yeah, but for some reason we only get the first one. Those two Transformer games are very good. Replace, uh, replayed Fall of Cybertron not too long ago. Talk about earning some goodwill, but bringing back those and other old Activision titles would satisfy many fans. I would. Cronky's talking about it all the time. I keep telling him it's not going to happen, but I really hope I'm wrong and he's right about that because I would love this. Uh, and then you said, drink. If you can hunt down 
an ale eight one. If you can find them, find it, hit me up and I will send you a few. Life-changing sugary drink. I have no idea what that is. Let me see what that is. You call it's called Ale Eight One. Let me let me look this up. Ale Eight Dash One. One Ale Eight Dash One Bottling Company, Winchester, Kentucky. Oh, here's the Wikipedia page. We can just read that like an idiot. Ale Eight One, also known as Ale Eight, is a regional ginger and citrus flavored soft drink. I hate ginger ale. I hope it's not like ginger ale. Distributed primarily in to brick and mortar retailers in Kentucky. LA can be described as a ginger soda with a kick. Sorry, my phone's blown up. Uh, it's a ginger citrus blend containing less carbonation and fewer calories than conventional sodas. Uh, so it looks like you got to be in Kentucky to find this thing. So maybe if... Yeah, oh, okay. They also make orange cream soda, blackberry and peach soda, cherry soda. I'm into all of those. Yeah, I just... I, I don't know about LA. I hate anything that's kind of ginger ale adjacent. So I don't know if I could be able to do that. But I do really like their logo. Their lo logo is pretty cool. So... Thanks for pointing that out. If I ever if I ever come across one, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen this. It kind of looks like Seven Up a little bit, Seven Up Ginger Ale, something like that. Uh, anyway, play Bramble, fantastic little game. Doesn't require fifty hours of your life. On Game Pass now and is a gem. I might just do that. Uh, there are there is aliens here. Mark Cerny, Todd Howard, and Miyamoto are clearly not of this world. Uh, probably, although I accidentally just called Miyamoto Morimoto, which is the most. Uh, okay, and thanks for the laugh again. Rich people killing themselves in a carbon fiber tube was so funny. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm not going to laugh at the death as as uh, as fucking stupid as those people were because dude, I, I still feel bad about the kid, though, that the guy guilt tripping his fucking kid who had the good sense to not want to do that. That that part's fucked to me. Like, I, I can't. But, yeah, those rich people. Otherwise, morons. Uh, but, yeah, ha have a great week. I appreciate the write in, Mr. Mike Clark. Hope you're doing well. Hope all is well and you're uh, feeling good. And to all of you out there. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for watching. This podcast is not transcribed in, in a written format. So if you're reading the podcast, I'm deeply concerned about how you're doing that. But otherwise, it's none of my business. And I'm just going to let you go live your life and be yourself. I appreciate you guys sticking around, listening. That's it for this week's show. Hope you're all having a great week. If you end up playing Atlas Fallen, anyone here, if you end up playing Atlas Fallen, let me know what you think about it. I'm deeply interested in this game. And I want to hear from you what you think about it. But otherwise, if you're playing any other game, just let right in. Let me know. Let's uh, let's talk about what you guys have been playing. Enough about what I've been playing. Let's talk about what you've been playing. I gotta try out this new season five on Call of Duty because I haven't done that yet. But until then, I'm gonna finish up Homefront: The Revolution. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. Eat delicious food. Take care of yourselves. Take care of those you love. Be good to one another. And until next week, power your dreams. Peace.